and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast, a podcast that analyzes, dissects, and pokes a finger at one of the most important eras in wrestling history. I'm your host Dave, and today we'll be looking at the culmination of our timeline, the January 4th, 1999 Nitro, and Raw. Through this long, arduous journey that's been sometimes great, but sometimes extremely hard, I've had my crew with me, my clique, my stable. First of all, Fergus, how are you doing? Oh man, it's so good to hear that intro. So, so good to hear that intro. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Been excited. Been a long time coming. This episode, uh, I have been looking forward to it. Uh, of course, also, can't go without Connor. How are you keeping? You know what's not good to hear? An actual human being made that noise into a microphone on broadcast television with millions watching <laughs> definitely so better at producing live tv yes i'm, I'm okay dave it was interesting to relive this nightmare that i have forgotten about so many years uh, that, that's a that's a good starting off point did you guys actually get to see this live because because i didn't i've seen like the main event of both of these things played again and again mostly the finger poke and obviously we're going to go over mick versus rock uh, but I didn't see this uh, live at the time. How about you guys? For me, I didn't see it live. I'm pretty sure I would have seen it on like a live wire or that kind of equivalent Saturday morning show for raw recaps and stuff. So I would have seen it piecemeal, but definitely never live at the time. I have seen it tons of times since, though. Man, screw you guys. I saw it live. <laughs> wow. It was, it was an adventure. So what, what happened to was... We had been hyped up because they, you know, they announced the match the week before. We watched Nitro and taped Raw. Oh, yeah. oh That's no! How that works, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was my my brother's doing, and I have never forgiven him since. I never <laughs> look at him like, God damn you, never again. And, and I think that just kind of encapsulates this whole night of how I was feeling, and I'm glad others ha- had the same feeling about the night as well. I- I love that you actually taped it because it was taped. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. even a live the, show. The I, that yeah. you know, I would always you know retape over plenty of weeks of wrestling and random ECW shows. As well, that that raw did not leave that tape for like months. I would say That's just fair. as a constant reminder. I'm like, come on, how, how did I like? How did I miss this episode live? <laughs> And I mean, it was it's it's a cool moment, too, because at that time, it's like, I can't just pull it up on YouTube or anything like that. So it was it was the only way I could relive that moment. Man, I think that encapsulates wrestling fans uh, before the YouTube and like uh, streaming era so well. And I think it's super hard to look back at the ratings war and take it super seriously. But this is exactly what they wanted. They were trying to steal viewers. They wanted to make you feel bad for not watching yep. their show. This is exactly what both uh, companies were after in the ratings war. Yeah, how often did you miss Raw after that, Connor? <laughs> Never. Yeah, <Never. laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. You know, the only time I seriously watched Nitro was I think it's about a month later they go unopposed. I think there's the the dog show or whatever for Raw. Right. And right. Uh, I, I actually rewatched that Nitro too. I was like, I remember this Nitro. So the finger poke was probably my, not my last go around of like, that's it. Never again. It was that nitro after that. Cause it's always nice. All right, I'll check in. And I was like, all right, same bold bullshit. And that was it. Yeah. I, I think I would have been good if I had missed one or the other, but I'm sure there's plenty of times where people tuned into raw and missed some Roddy, uh, Roddy, Roddy Piper beat that. <laughs> I felt bad about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's exactly what they're, uh, they're trying to capture. 
And uh, I think it informs fans a lot about their booking decisions. I think we can look back on a lot of their booking decisions and be annoyed about it or angry. But if you want to capture people's imaginations for those like 10 minutes and have them switch a channel, that, that is tough to do. But Dave, no, it's the Time Warner merger and standardism practices. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. Oh, fans yeah, knew exactly what that was at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely clued in those fans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, this episode, we're going to go about things a little bit differently. Uh, we said at the start of the episode, we're going to be looking at Raw. We haven't looked at a WWE show in a while. I don't think I, I, I think I've watched two episodes of Raw in this time frame. So this is going to be a real, a real kind of uh, nostalgia oh, moment for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think like you you named Livewire there that we we had these recap shows over here. I remember them so well, just watching like glimpses of stuff. So it's interesting to even watch a full episode because when I was a kid, I didn't get to watch many episodes are all it's our lost art in wrestling i think too because that's why i think i liked ecw at the time so much when i look back at those a lot of those shows that's all they were they were just kind of recap shows yeah i loved it yeah yeah it's like uh oh what's the name of it uh, i'm so bad the the american football when they just show highlights they just jump between games red zone red zone that's it it's just like red zone i don't actually like watching a bunch of full football games they're very long but I sure as hell love Red Zone. <laughs> I'll, tell you that, I'll tell you that much. No, that's a, that's a good comparison. Yeah, because yeah. you know, when you watch a whole ECW like twenty minute match, yeah, they're good. But it's just sometimes like just show me like the cool spots. I, I don't have like I don't have two hours, and with Nitro, I don't have the the extended time either. Or modern day wrestling, I don't have three hours to watch a SmackDown. Who do you think I am? That's why you should check out their. I don't know if you've seen their YouTube channel where they like do like ten minute recaps or whatever. Ooh, I, I have not. It's something 10, 15 minutes and they do the entire episode. They just do like all the important bits and like you basically never see any wrestling. But we, we've, invent, <laughs> we've invented new age wrestling, guys. We're just going to get a promotion at those 10 minute shows. <laughs> well, speaking of, ten, also, speaking of 10 minute shows and no matches, let's jump into Raw. <laughs> this show was, even though I've seen it like 100 times probably, it, it just... Every time I go back to it, I'm like, wow, this is what we were watching in 1999. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, Vince Russo, baby. It's it's a bit all over the place. What What's so amazing about these like three years in WWF is so much stuff changes so fast yeah. that the like people's timelines kind of blur in my head. So I completely forget about the Sean Commissioner stuff all the time. It was very short-lived. Yeah. I, I, re- I remember it vividly because... It's like, where's Shawn Michaels? Again, you don't have the internet. Oh, he's hurt, blah, 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 and all, all the backstage stuff. And it's like, I want to see him wrestle again. Is he coming back? Oh, he's back. Is he with the... I don't know. He, and he turned really fast to like the bad guy, the good guy. It was, it's, it was a really weird short run as commissioner. It, it's really strange as well because his time off from wrestling is actually quite short when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's only three, four years he's fully not wrestling. And then he's on TV all the time anyway. So he's basically never not. It's kind of weird when I look at it back and when he comes back and has that first match and they're like, oh, my God, it's been so long. And you're like, but he was on TV two weeks ago. Like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from this? Yeah, and he did he did commentary as well. Yeah, yeah. Sean is really uh, smart here in his break, not to get too into the reads, but he doesn't work. He obviously, as you guys say, don't, doesn't wrestle for a while, but he's on screen. He starts to wrestle when his contract comes up, is the big rumor. 
So his comeback coincides with when his contract is going to expire. Ah. This is some from some shoot interviews, so maybe there's some falsehoods here. But some shoot interviews came. He's very clever. He doesn't rest all his time. His contract then comes up to expire, and then all of a sudden he gets to smile back when his contract comes up for negotiations. Well, I mean, it's, it's obviously Jesus that fixed him, Dave. So. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> uh, speaking of Sean, the, uh, the opening vignette of Raw is a recap of his firing from the last Raw. He's been doing commissioner duties in the WBF at this time. Uh, and we start to get a full recap of the, his career and the boyhood dream. And I love this halfway through Vince just comes out and interrupts the vignette. It's, Get like, that crap off the <laughs> it's actually great. I don't think I've ever seen this before. He's out with the corporation, which has so many members. My God. <laughs> it was like so growing many. by the week at this point, too. Yeah. Test was like new guy at this point. He's too. a hired gun, I think, at the point. I hired mean, he's goon, like yeah. meant to be fully a member, but whatever. Yeah, they went with the his real life storyline that he used to be a security guard for Motley Crue, right? Motley Crue, yeah, that's the mm. one. Uh, and he's become a wrestler, which is actually, uh, as far as I know, true. Vince tells us not to hold our breath waiting for Sean or we'll pa- turn blue and pass out. Uh, he's not brave enough to come out that's never been Sean, which is actually very on his character, in fairness. He say says no one will hurt his son Shane again, mankind hurting him last week. Of course, we get a live shot of Michaels then walking into the arena to make Vince look like a fool, which I don't think we need because he then just comes out immediately with his music. <laughs> I'm not sure why we needed the shot of walking in. Uh, and he's uh, brought people to watch his back. He's brought the crowd. It's DX, this old faction with uh, the new added uh, X-Pac and the new Age Outlaws, of course. Sean tells Vince he can't fire him. It's in his contract which is one of the biggest tropes of this era of wrestling. Ironclad. Ironclad. No, you obviously didn't read my contract, even though you hired me. There's a rematch clause. No one ever reads a contract in wrestling. The only way he can be fired is if he resigns himself as commissioner. Sean explains that uh, because uh, McMahon has entered the Rumble, he has control over him because he is technically a WWE competitor. Just a lot of legal loopholes going on here. And he won't be coming in 30th in the Rumble. He'll be coming out second with Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out first to a massive pop of the crowd. Because we should all be asking while Stone Cold isn't on the screen, where is Stone Cold, of course? Thoughts on this opening segment quickly, guys? Just the difference between Vince and Bischoff and just how much better Vince is at carrying a segment. It's night and day. Not just that, how much he's willing to take the fall oh, yeah. repeatedly. Like, this is the complete opposite. Sean is the face, nominally, I suppose, here. And he gets to win repeatedly in the segment. And Vince just takes it because he's the evil boss and he'll have his moments. But he actually has comeuppance. So immediately you're like, oh, these people matter and I should listen to them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a stark contrast. Also... But this is because the shows are completely different lengths. The nice brevity and the amount of information they get across while still getting reactions and cheers from the crowd is is great. We go into the first match after this, if you want to call it a match. Non-title match, because Ken Shamrock has two titles, neither of them up for the grabs, both the Intercontinental and the Tag title, versus Steve Blackman. Blackman, one of my favorite inexplicably over characters from this era. Uh, not much of a match, some uh, back and forth striking about Batman. Dan Severn walks down to the ring in a neck brace. Shamrock is in control with a belly-to-belly, but Severn is on the apron. So Shamrock gets distracted that that's Billy Gunn 
run in, hit a Feymaster, and cost Shamrock the match, clocking in at about two minutes. Shamrock chases Billy to the back where they brawl, and we get shots of them brawling all over the back. And any thoughts on these characters, like uh, perennial mid carters here? Oh, it's just a bunch of lads who have no charisma. So, <laughs> uh, Billy Gunn is an ass man. That's a lot of charisma right there. I mean, Ken kind of does with his intensity, but otherwise, yeah, the other two lads are older, oh, intense, uh, boring guys <laughs> to watch. It's it's so weird. Well, to to the fault of Vince Russo throughout this whole episode, the, his his one remaining strength compared to WCW is. These guys have something to do, and that's pretty much consistent with the whole rest of the mid card as well. Yeah. Now, whether those storylines are good, that's a whole different yeah, story. Yeah, at least he's like they're amalgamated into a, a massive feud. It's I think I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's really clever. A bunch of these mid carders are just all kind of feuding with each other. Yeah, and it's cool that they're kind of intertwined with the corporation as well. That that's something that did you know WCW like never does really. Yeah, yeah. it's noticeable that, like, Ken, a corporation guy who has important corporation storylines, even though he's a mid-carder, is involved in all their segments and is treated as important. Where Vincent, or someone like that in, like, uh, WCW, is an afterthought. And when he's out, it, do- it doesn't even count. It's like he's barely a member when there's important stuff going on, right? Yeah, they, they did okay when Six was around. They, I think that they, they towed the line the best with him. Yeah, but agree. yeah, for most of the members, not really. Agree. Ken, uh, I said mid-carder, Ken was pushed very hard at multiple times, as you see him with both titles here, but never really worked out. It was kind of a bit one-dimensional. I think he's had a world title match already at this point. Yeah. yeah. He wrestled Sean, right? I think it was like a year ago at this yeah. point. Yeah. So they did, they did have big uh, dreams for him, but he never really uh, gets there. Unfortunate for him, just overshadowed by a lot of huge personalities in this company as well. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Dave. I don't know where if you're watching on network. I mean, I'd never seen that ad with George Carlin. It was totally bizarre. No, but I had skipped the ads, unfortunately, while I was watching it on. Yeah. I do, I, do you remember that at all, Connor? The George I Carlin don't. stuff? Yeah. Mm-mm. It was just really out of place. Oh, sorry. The Oh, the thing in between. Yeah. Just nothing to do with George Carlin. They don't mention him at all. It's the, yeah. the hot, it's their equivalent of hotline or whatever. Yeah. And, I just, it, it was totally bizarre. I assume the company does it also does stuff for like comics and stuff like that. So that's just their big headline. But yeah, they don't mention his name. They just flash his face a bunch. I'm like, yeah, yeah I wonder if uh, he'd be happy with him being shilled out in this wrestling company like this, you know? Mankind is out. He says it was a uh, first, but he enjoyed grabbing Pat Patterson's balls in a manly way. He also uh, never said suck it without saying please first. This is in reference to his, uh, DX kind of taking him under their wing after uh, after Vince has kind of turned on him. He says he loves kicking McMahon ass and he wants a, a title shot against The Rock. He beat him before. He deserves another shot. The signs in the crowd saying Foley is God. Prove that. Vince is out and he just runs through mankind. <laughs> just the harshest words for the man I've ever heard. Calling him a monster and that he, he doesn't deserve to be near the title. and It'll be a blemish on the co- company forever if he ever got the title just really loading for this person lower than uh lower than human he says mankind uh soiled the mcmahon name by putting his hands on shane he says mick will never have a title shot but he'll give him a chance to enter the rumble which will give him a chance for the title shot mankind versus triple h for a rumble spot tonight with shane as the referee 
So again, a lot of true treads here happening. DX involved in multiple corporation kind of things. Mankind kind of aiming for the main event and still involved with DX and Shane in between it all. This is like when Mick starts to become Mick Foley opposed to any of his characters. What do you think of this kind of uh, unveiling of the mask of this character? The fact that it just happens so naturally, it just, that's what makes the moment so good. Yeah, it, it's kind of like they went, he's over, let, let him just be over, do something, you know, stop being so cartoonish, which is really interesting. Because uh, a while before this, he fights, or during the McMahon feud, he fights uh, Terry Funk as just Mick Foley. And I think that was a tester for how it was going to go. I, th- I think, yeah, really, it's how believable he is. Whatever the truth of how close he is to his real personality, it's very believable that this is just the guy and you're hearing from him you're not hearing from mankind that weird piano guy in the corner who loves pain and stuff and the fact that he uses comedy as well it's just mm. not, not many top guys are, are yeah, utilizing cracking, that cracking silly dick jokes during their yeah. their, <laughs> their title shot request yeah it's it's interesting and it's interesting uh i i think i've talked about this before i think there'll be for forced to make a lot of differences uh, a lot of changes in this era like so, when the fans like something, they just gave it to you. They just threw it at you. They saw saw see if it sticks to the wall. Where a lot of stuff today and later after this kind of ratings war felt a bit more, I don't know, corporate or unorganic. Yeah, uh, no, that's no, that's that's a great point. And what, what felt more most organic about this too is this ongoing bargaining of like how you get title shots and what the stipulations are for each match as well. That's what makes yeah. this whole angle like the three months feud between mankind and the rock it's just so captivated yeah no c- completely compared completely to fair. the non-bargaining of the other show that we watched yeah th- there's a lot more forced stipulations and while you could poke holes in it at least there's logic behind some of the stuff where how often are we left going why why wasn't that a title shot for piper <laughs> why was there a fast count in this match? just stuff like that on to match number two of the night we have mark henry in his sexual chocolate gimmick Versus gold dust in his gold dust gimmick. And <laughs> man. <laughs> I don't know why that's so much. That was great. <laughs> man, WWE has banger entrance music. Oh my God. The sexual chocolate music brings me back. It's sexual, baby. And I want to give it all to you. Yeah, right on. I'm right here for you. It's so good. And same with Goldust's music is just perfect for the character and the, the way they do the, the camera as, as he comes down as well. Uh, again, two mid-carders, just actual characters. Uh, I don't think Mark Henry's been sexual chocolate for long at this stage. No. No, because they just broke up. The the, the Nation of Domination hadn't been broken for this long after it. Unfortunately, Mark Henry's in a bit of a, we'll call it spicy storyline here that we're not going to go over too much <laughs> about chi- China tricking him into doing something with a, a man dressed as a woman. It, it has not aged well. I'm not going to respect it with going through it too much. Uh, I will say China is involved with Mark Henry here and the commentators go on about how he's like a 15-year-old boy looking at her all the time. Just can't keep his eyes off of her. And obviously infatuated. The match itself, these two are fine wrestlers. Mark Henry is sickingly strong, just throwing gold dust around the ring. Eventually, China distracts on the ramp with uh, her com- compatriot. I don't know what to call this. And gold dust hits a shattered dreams, which is the worst finisher of all time because it's a DQ every time. 
I don't I don't get Goldust's motivations in these matches, but it's kicking people in the groin until he loses. Mind games, Dave. Mind games. <laughs> it's, games. All, it's all it's all long con, win the war, not the battle kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, also, I also appreciate that the ref straight up told him he was like, "Don't do that." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> I I always like the shatter dreams, not because of the move it is. It's just such carny nonsense because like they just kicked the other guy in the tie, obviously, or the the rope, and it does look like you die. <laughs> it is the most oh, yeah, convincing. <laughs> rupture a testicle like, yeah. if he did that. It is the most convincing finisher out there. Mark does sell it for ages like he's been shot. Not much to say, interesting blip in the career of, of these two people, but again, non-finish two-minute match for, uh, in WB. Yeah, unfortunately, like like I said earlier, it's nice that Mark Henry has a storyline since he's still very green to the business, but... I don't know. It's, it's probably just, how do you thing. recover from this kind of storyline? Really, yeah. it's it's just made to be a joke. I mean, he plays it off well yeah. on a wrestling show, and this is his storyline. And then the stuff with May Young is just it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, it, it's interesting to see where he gets, like how good he yeah. becomes later down the line. I think here, like you can never tell in a two minute match. Maybe the couple things he did is all he has, but he's starting to get good. Like this is a lot better than some of the matches he had in the the nation. But yes, we're still a way off the Hall of Pain. Right. It's 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 just the unfortunate way the WWE is with with Vince Russo at this time. Just because yeah. I mean, that's you think about Owen Hart too. It's the same thing. Like I don't know what to do with him. Let's put him in something really wacky. And oh, God, yeah. Vince Russo just stop. And this is not a good one to begin with. Not even close. No. Mark Mark's super interesting. Could go on for days about him, but signed for a huge WB contract because he was. Uh, prolific powerlifter probably could have broke a lot more records than he did if he didn't go to wrestling yeah this is him when vince isn't too happy about the extreme it's like a 10-year deal or something insane yeah it was 10 years so he's about three years in at this point yeah it's like a 10-year deal for an ungodly amount of money compared to what any other mid carter is making and it's very funny that you can't keep someone like bret hart around for the money he wants but you can sign mark henry on one of those insane deals of this era and wrestling it, it, it really makes you think about his business acumen sometimes but mark eventually does work out and has a very good run uh very late in his career after this we see dennis knight is chained up in a seedy place in some kind of dungeon sex dungeon <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> <sex> like <laughs> i i love stuff like this because it really like i we can poke holes in infinite wrestling angles but imagine you're a tv production and you're like, we have this man captured. Could you do a live feed of him? Like, yeah, no problem, boss. It, it's the part where, you know, I pop I pop this sucker in my VCR. And if my parents are walking by, I'm fast forwarding this part. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably fast forward to the last 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, a lot of parts. I mean, let's be honest. It was only like the last two matches I would like consistently watch. Yeah, this is weird for those of you who don't know. Uh, Dennis Knight, later known as Naked Midian or uh, Midian, uh, yeah. has has been uh, captured by the APA, and we don't know for what reason. Yes, or yes. they're just called the Acolytes. Uh, I have very, very bad memories of the Ministry. Yeah. Does not age well either. And the Corporate Ministry. Oh God, <laughs> the Corporate Ministry is so good. <laughs> it did have a banger of a theme song in France. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the Ministry is very weird. Uh, we'll see evolution of Undertaker later. Uh, later on it's the undertaker's best look in my opinion not his best storylines but i, I mm. like how he looks for the, the ministry match after this we have godfather versus test test as we said pretty new to the, the wb godfather whiplash by the way like if you <laughs> yeah it, it, like legitimately they went from 
Mark's storyline to a man who's captured and and hung up in this in this Into room bow, to bow, bow, train. Bow. <laughs> <laughs> You're like what? Godfather is so blessed with this character. He has to do so little wrestling for the next like ten years of his life because of this character and all the stuff that didn't get over before Papa Shango. What was it? Is it Kama? Kama. Kama. Yeah. Kama. The Street Fighter. And all he has to do is do the the fucking splash in the corner, the whole train, and some dancing, and he just gets paychecks. It's so good. Live the gimmick, bro. Yeah, th- he also has a very small hoe train. It's like two or three girls at this stage. They haven't gone for the full, like, t- I remember 10 girls following him out at one stage. Also, yeah, real life popularity, as Gus said, of a strip club now. That's that's his uh, current current job. Uh, this is not much of a match. Godfather gets his stuff in for pops. Test does a big boot. And then Val Venus is on the ramp. Ref calls the bell for no reason, and then Val runs down and they brawl. Yeah, so it isn't just WCW that just ends matches that don't make sense. So, so I think the end of the match is because, like, Test whips Godfather into the ring post, but that's never ended a match in the yeah, history of wrestling. Exactly. Not since, like, early <laughs> British wrestling in the 1800s. Over the top or rope, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the referee is just, like, knows what's coming, so he's like, just call it now. I know he's going <laughs> to Like, it's a complete opposite of WCW refereeing. These guys have omniscience, and they can see <laughs> everything that's going to happen. Yeah, I need to get home early. They're better, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need to get home early. Just call the bell so I can leave the ring. <laughs> I do like the hard on the nose uh, writing from Vince Russo. Oh, we've got a guy who brings a lot of strippers to the ring. Maybe we should involve the guy who's a porn star. Genius! Genius! Godfather's music again. Just a 10 out of 10, by the way. That that tune it's is... It's still stuck in my head, like, 10 years later or whatever, 20 years later. The production is a major factor in the difference we'll get to later. Yeah, oh, it's the biggest difference. Not, not close. I think so, yeah. Speaking of ads, the one I did get here is... Glove slam of the week. Yeah. Glover? What the mm-hmm. fuck is a Glover? And they're only doing what WCW did, bro. <laughs> WCW already had Glover marketing. So. Oh, Glover must have. Yeah, Glover. yeah, it's on the Nitros. <laughs> they had it a couple months before. It was the video game, right? It was the 64 yeah, game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glover must have been big. It must have done very well. That's why I, I still remember. never played it. Uh, I don't <laughs> believe it did. <laughs> I don't think so. The Glover slam of the week is Mick beating up Shane last week. Which is everyone's slam. They they've replayed that like three times. I will say they used Glover better there. Like that makes sense. The slam of the week. It was literally like I can't even remember what they spot what Glover sponsored in WCW, but it, it wasn't good. Probably Hogan. It wasn't that no. The Hogan's presidential run sponsored by Glover. <laughs> <laughs> Match four. We have Triple H versus Mick Foley. It's funny how much over like Mick's run isn't huge in the company. Like his full time wrestling run. Uh, and how often he feuds with Triple H. These guys have like really good charisma and pretty decent matches. Yeah, we covered a match between them <laughs> early in the mm. podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah, they just always see Mick Taker, Triple H is this like triangle. They all just feud indefinitely because they just work well together. But it's it's also it's a perfect way to show that like these two guys were just synonymous with the mid card for a couple of years, but they both graduated kind of to the upper card at the same time so it was just a yeah, perfect progression yeah. yeah it's always it's also really funny now this is just mick's uh career kind of personified that they use mick to get triple h kind of over at different points 
But they kind of rehash it. He does it in the mid card for Triple H a couple times, and then he also does it in the main event when it's needed. Should have known you'd bring this up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But in case I'll share this with the fans and Connor now. In case, in case people don't know my uh, very overhyped McFoley theory, is it's that uh, none of the none of the stars we've heard of would be a thing without McFoley. There we go. He he put them all over. None of them would have had solidified careers without him. You can't name one main eventer. Uh, that uh, from that era that hadn't got over Mick Foley, you know. Anyway, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shane's out first. Says the commentary that he's going to call it down the line, down the middle. No shenanigans, early doors with Shane being pretty even for both guys. Hunter does a sunset flip back into a ring. First time I've ever seen him do this move, by the way. <laughs> Attempting a pin on Mick, and out of nowhere, Shane just kicks Mick's hands off of the ropes and does a lightning fast tree count. Very fast match. It was a nice build-up and maybe a, a future, you know, a site of futures to come. But Hunter isn't a rumble. Hunter says sorry to Mick on the mic, but it's business. He loves saying business so much. My God, the man loves saying the word business. Uh, Mick says, he says to Mick he'll take a win however uh, it comes. But Happy New Year. He pedigrees Shane and says he's all yours. So Mick puts Shane in a weirdo stretch submission. That stretch him. That he never uses again in his life. <laughs> and says he's going to break Shane's shoulder uh, if uh, Vince doesn't come down. Mick says he's changed his mind and he doesn't want his shot at the pay-per-view. He wants it tonight. And he wants it no DQ. Vince, of course, gives in because he doesn't want Shane's shoulder broken. But The Rock is irate. He says uh, he doesn't even have his wrestling gear with him. And he gives out. Uh, Vince is like, uh, oh, I have to. And he's like, oh, you didn't have to. <laughs> like, <laughs> Rock having it up here. being Also laughable. Himself. That is Rock's gear at the moment. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does not wrestle in wrestling gear. No. Yeah, interesting way to escalate the, the storyline. This is like the fourth time we've seen Shane, including replays. Yeah, and, this is really young into his, his, his run. Yeah. This is great. What, yeah, this is when I liked Shane, but this is when, you know, they used him right. It was just to get come up and to be a kind of daddy's boy. Yeah, it, we, are, we are seeing like little bits of the mid-carders and lots of the people that the storyline project around. Match five of the night, again. Sorry, I, before we go on, I want to point out this is probably the best refereeing thing I've seen in forever. It's total logical. Like, it's so obviously logical. And they never do this in wrestling these days when there's a biased referee. Of course he tries to finish the match as quickly as possible. And it works. Yeah. And it's great. <laughs> You're like, yes, this makes sense. Don't waste our time, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like how shocked both Triple H and Mick look afterwards. It, it is like a two... He is very... Shane at this age is very fast. And he goes from kicking Mick's hands to counting to three counting two seconds flat. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. matches over. Yeah, it, it, it was very well done. And it's nice that it's surprising as opposed to drawn out because we can do drawn out things later on in the card. Fifth match of the night, we have uh, two of my favorite wrestlers, maybe uh, maybe ever. We have Edge versus D'Lo Brown. D'Lo Brown is currently feuding with PMS, Fantastic. which is uh, Runnels and Jackie. We haven't seen Jackie in the podcast in a long time. I forgot that she uh, jumped back over. Was um, it only the two of them, or is there a third? I think there's a third eventually. Yeah, there was Ken Shamrock's like sister at one point. Oh, Ryan Shamrock. Yeah. yeah, this was not a long. This was not a long running group. No, no, <laughs> I think they later come out with Sean Stasiak when he's called Meat. Meat. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Meat and PMS. That was something I needed to see as a child. Can we and just th- call them pretty mean sisters instead? Yeah, of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is not a great upgrade to Jackie, but I guess it's better than being in a ring with Disco Inferno. Dilo calls them ring rats and tries to run them off in a little vignette beforehand. Uh, this match is actually probably the best action so far, but these guys are still pretty young, still pretty great. I forget Dilo just did a Liger bomb, uh, which is fantastic. The match ends when uh, Edge comes off the top rope and D'Lo catches him in the sky high, which the camera almost misses because PMS are down to the ring and get into verbals with D'Lo before D'Lo kind of chases them away, kind of walks towards them. And Terry hits the floor and starts shouting my baby in the most unnerving thing I've ever watched on wrestling TV. Terry being pregnant at the moment uh, lands on her stomach and starts shedding my baby and asks for the paramedics to work faster and they get her backstage on a stretcher. This is uh, in very poor taste. One of the worst things they've ever done? Easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. It's a poor Dilo just holding his face, not looking uh, at the... How do you come back from that? From I, I feel so bad for Dilo. Like, Dilo post... doesn't come back from it. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it's like the whole draws thing, RIP, by the way. And oh then yeah! Just yeah. wasn't he with like Tiger Ali Singh at some point too? It was just yeah. He was <laughs> in, a, in a turban. Stick him in a turban. This is the man that was your intercontinental and European champion at one stage. I fucking love D'Lo Brown too, and it's just so sad to see. D'Lo's a great worker. Not that he ever needed to be world oh, yeah. champion or anything, but like D'Lo's a really good worker for a big guy. Yeah, he got he kind of gets fucked in multiple things. The injury of Draws is obviously tragic, but it's also down to his gimmick. Apparently, Draws gets like caught on his chest protector that he wears all the time, so it's not uh, even really his fault. I had not heard that part. Who who, who no, said I've that? Never heard that before. Uh, that was in a shoot interview with because oh. I've I've watched I've watched shoot interviews with with Draws and D'Lo. Both of them say like, anyways. I don't want to talk about that. I don't really want to talk about this segment either. I I will say that. Yeah. This day for women in wrestling, tough day. Yeah, like how far we've we've come. Thank God. <laughs> and ta- talented workers here as well. Uh, Jackie's a great wrestler and does some stuff later on, even if she is in the era of I call this the Playboy Buddy era, kind of like after this. This kind of shows off how WWE uh, works in that it's like it has real high highs and then it has some really low lows at the same yeah. time. Yeah, uh, as I, in contrast, as I said, like I would have loved to actually see. An eight-minute match between these guys, a little TV match between your mid-carders, but yeah, this is what we get instead. And we get uh, another fantastic match after this, which is Kane versus <laughs> the Stooges. Pat Patterson and Jared Briscoe, how their careers have come a long way. Uh, this is punishment for not saving Shane from mankind the other night. Kane storyline. <laughs> like, yeah, and tonight. Kane's storyline is pretty fucked up at the stage. This is Kane uh, was in an insane asylum and the McMahon saved him to make them their lackey. And every time Kane tries to turn on them, they're like, we'll send you back, Kane. I'm like, that's horrifying. That's fucking horrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, he beats up both men. Pat Patterson's very funny during this. He d- both he, both yeah. of the lads know their know their role perfectly. Like they're they're excellent at this. They're they're both excellent. Eventually, uh Vince claims Kane is a winner after he calms him down after he uh, tries to choke Sam Shane. Dennis Knight is getting unchained by the acolytes. He's ready for you now, they say. God, this didn't need to be three separate segments. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Max Seven 
seven seven matches on one card, eh, guys? Exciting stuff. In a two-hour raw, yeah. Yeah, in two <laughs> hours as well. It's... <laughs> a lot of characters on the screen. Uh, hardcore champ Road Dog versus Al Snow. This is a weird point in the New Age Outlaws' career. They've done a lot of tag team stuff already. So now currently Billy's going for Intercontinental title. Road Dog is going for the hardcore ch- uh, championship. This all gets flipped by, I want to say, Mania, where they like Road Dog wins the Intercontinental title and Billy wins the hardcore title. Yep, yep. Because swerves, baby. This is a fun match. I don't want to recap it all. This is probably the most fun match of the night. This is very typical hardcore title stuff of the era, brawling backstage, going to the outside. It's snowing. I'm afraid someone might die by slipping. <laughs> Pile driver <laughs> onto the pallets. <laughs> Pile driver onto definitely just random pallets that have been left yeah. there. They're not yeah, gimmicks. Yeah. No, none, none of that stuff is gimmicks. That's the thing. Yeah. Real fucking dangerous. Like people talk about ECW, oh just taking stuff from the crowd and hitting them. Yeah, but it's gonna be a pan or a sign. Like like you could get tetanus, like that thing could just have nails in it. You know, like it's it's so This is sweet. real proto hardcore stuff for them. Because yeah. I yeah. I wanna say this is like the first time they go outside the arena. I think so. If it's not the first time, it might be the second kind of thing. I think this later on is this year or next year they do the uh, into the. Oh, the river is is just after this. Yeah, it's another month. Yeah, Yeah. rivers Um, after this where Al Snow almost dies. Yeah, props to WWF with pushing the envelope with with this. Yeah, because you know this isn't ECW where they're just like it's like over the top brutal violence that we're seeing with this they perfectly kind of toe the line with like it's comedy, but like, it's still kind of serious. It's still kind of hardcore. So you can kind of like appeal to the ECW fans just a little bit wink, wink, but yeah. not go too yeah. overboard on the other side of comedy, like WCW with Norman Smiley versus Ralphus or whatever. So they met the perfect middle with this. I think they took some of the stuff that was over and doable. Mm. So what, what I mean by that is like, as Gus pointed out, a bunch in the podcast like the public enemy were really over at one stage in america and they had a lot of matches like this or the dudley boys who are doing very well at the moment in ecw have a lot of matches like this they're just brawls where a lot of weapons are involved and that's easy to replicate and anyone can replicate it you just hope they have some charisma and connection with the crowd behind it and road dog certainly does here uh, as he sprints back to the arena because he's too cold to be outside to celebrate with the hardcore title. I, I, I do think this is them taking the most easy to replicate fun thing about ECW and throw it into their uh, show where, yeah, nail on the head, uh, WCW failed at this. They couldn't even keep the momentum of Public Enemy going, though obviously they also don't do well in WWF later either. After this match, we get the last we see of Dennis Knight uh, on this night. He's thrown into some ominous smoke. <laughs> It, it full on looks like it's from Mortal Kombat, the TV show. Like, that's that's what it looks like. It's pretty though. If I was a kid, I think I'd be into this. I think oh, where'd he go? You know, like I, was, I, lo- I was not. Yeah, <laughs> I was not. Like the the, the hardcore the match, like that was like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. And then yeah, yeah this this shit. The I real deal breaker is just how nobody seems to react to it at all. <laughs> They're like, just, yeah, yeah, whatever. Let's just carry yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the president of the business who's been out uh, four or five times isn't like a man might get killed on our show. And did, <laughs> yeah, did Undertaker send this videotape into them or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, please play these in the following times. <laughs> bought advertising time. <laughs> it's part of the business. We now. didn't know what it was. They said we couldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. Do not watch until until play. 
yeah, this is a transformation into Midian and start the ministry. The ministry gives a lot of uh, character to guys that didn't have a life after this. The APA obviously go on to be very over, starting as the acolytes kind of in the ministry. The thing is, uh, I don't think they're over at all in the now. ministry. I don't think yeah. they're, no, they're they over definitely until, they, until they go past that and they become just Yeah, dickheads. their theme was really weird too. Yeah, That's the that's a fair point. I guess Baruch was doing decently in the nation, and maybe this is a bit of a downgrade. Then it's, it's a transition it. for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they get a lot of life out of just being guys that come and clothesline some guys. A lot of guys that end up floating in WBF, and this might be survivalist bias. You know, the guys we remember end up finding spots. Like they find spots for guys. Yeah. So some of them now, I, I'm sure there's like faceless guys I forgot that end up just losing their job. But like it would have been easy for Veruk and Bradshaw never to be heard of. Like, Bradshaw's transitioned from a nobody that kind of failed from the his origin or origins as a tag team to acolyte to APA to main eventer over like a ten year span is pretty impressive. As much as I hate the guy, <laughs> so it, it is interesting that Russo's way, while it has some terrible storylines like we've seen, finds homes for people, finds uses for gimmicks. After Dennis Knight disappears, we have another mysterious goings-on. Shawn Michael leaves the arena and tells the ex he'll be right back with the surprise he promised Vince in the opening segment. What's the words he uses? A stone-cold surprise? No subtlety at all. <laughs> I don't know what happened in the previous weeks, why Stone Cold can't be in the arena, or why he needs a lift from Shawn, specifically. But yeah, he's threatening to get Stone Cold down to the arena. I don't think there's a particular reason. Yeah. He's just he's just kind of been MIA from TV just because like he was just kind of hurt and at this time because I think he had the staff infection from the the December pay per view I think oh so I think yeah, he's just yeah, getting yeah, a little time case, off yeah sure so Sean leaves Hunter gives him keys and Sean says uh, I'll be right back see you soon Hunter says maybe an Xbox says what comes around goes around this is a reference to him being commissioner and kind of not siding with the ex like not being with the ex not exactly it's it's just like he comes back as commissioner and they've they've already returned as dx and he doesn't really he kind of blows them off and he's a bit insulting to them over a period of time so they're just kind of getting him back for all that really yeah they uh sean tries to get come back into the arena and someone in the shadow says hi sean and he, you can see his head drop already, like a mafiosa moment, like a yeah, good fellas, like a good fellas moment. When we're back from commercial, Sean is a bloody pulp, something from a fucking Tarantino movie on the windshield of a car, and there's blood everywhere. It's like encrusted into the the. It's really nice that it's snowing because it's like all over the snow. This is a very weird. Like this looks like they murdered him. I thought Sean Michaels was dead. Like, as dead as Dennis Knight is at this point. But you know what? Do you know what? It works so much better. Because you know what WCW would have done? We would have watched 25 minutes of that. <laughs> yeah, not watching a beatdown, just seeing him, like, because Vince says he wants him dissected, eviscerated. And this looks a lot more brutal than probably any wrestling moves you could do. So, in, in, interesting kind of back from commercial moment. Very artsy, good fella moment as well. But Shawn Michaels has written off. He is basically dead. Main event time, and we don't have Stone Cold because Shawn Michaels has been taken out. Mankind versus Rock. The X come out with Mankind, uh, and they have his back. The corporation and all their glory comes out with The Rock. Early on in the match, The Rock gets on the commentary headphones, and he talks smack, and it backfires as Mick jumps him. 
Mick then takes his turn on the commentary, uh, saying the kid is showing a lot of what is artistically or fortitude uh, until a ring bell gets smashed into his face. Rock bottom through the announced table, corporate corporate elbow, but Mick kicks up to a huge uh, pop from the crowd. Swinging neckbreaker by Mankind, the crowd are behind him, but before uh, he gets his momentum, Boss Man grabs the leg and the title is slid into the rock. Very seamless, by the way, the second that Mankind's that it gets grabbed. The corporation are on, on the same page. Ray Trailer looking about 18 times better than the last time we saw him in WCW. Oh, this so. is my favorite <laughs> boss man role. I yeah, love yeah. boss man here. I thought you were going to say 18 years younger because he genuinely well, looks like too. a young man. Yeah. <laughs> Giving him a costume that isn't from uh, just a Halloween store is pretty good, I think. Giving him an actual, <laughs> actual wrestling gear. Foley gets nailed by the title for a two count and a kick up for another huge pop. The Rock goes for another headshot with the title, but Mick reverses it into a DDT onto the belt. I think Mick has one of the worst DDTs in the industry, by the way. He just never looks at Not all. Great. It's very safe. He lets go of the hands very early in the move. I'll say yeah, that much. He floats it a lot as well. It's not very sudden. No, yeah. He it's uh, he, is, he has one of the worst double-arm DDTs of all time. Uh, Rock kicks out with two, but is met with a Mr. Socko as he gets up. Shamrock nails Foley with the fucking chair. The chair shots from this era are unbearable to watch, to be honest, in WWE. They just At least wanna... they hit him in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Edge and Hardy uh, very a uh, little bit later on in this era. They just keep cracking people with the corner of chairs. In I the mean, back we're, of head. we're not far removed from uh, Rock absolutely obliterating his head, so. Just a couple oh weeks. my god, yeah, just a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Yeah. And Billy jumps Shamrock. He's so fast in the ring. Him and Shamrock look like they genuinely hate each other. All hell breaks loose and DX come in fighting. shatters maybe the best entrance music in the industry stone cold is here he hits the rock with a chair pulls foley over for the tree count and foley is your new champion to two of the loudest pops i have still ever heard in wrestling the glass shattering and the pin are ridiculously loud to where you can barely hear anything that's going on Afterwards, Vince sells it like it's the worst thing that ever happened to him, saying to Rock, he'll get another chance. He'll get the title back. Looks like he's about to burst into tears. Mick gets on the mic and tells Vince it feels pretty good, and he dedicates this to his two kids, uh, saying, Daddy-O did it, and then runs laps around the ring, the goofy bastard. You know what time I I turned it over to uh, WWF? After he'd won the title. Yeah, he was running around that ring. Uh, <laughs> I just remember looking at my brother. I'm like, Dick. turn the TV off. <laughs> just turn it off. Uh, 
this moment uh, it gets me it gives me chills every time i watch yeah, it yeah you just even talking about his dark game as well yeah. yeah it's it's the it's the pop of stone cold it's the speech it's it's everything yeah the crowd seems so invested at everything and it's such a short match and i think the crowd just thinks it's going to be Mick getting his ass kicked or shenanigans because every match on this card ended in shenanigans. Yeah, Lawler, Lawler has a line where he says halfway through, he goes, oh, there'll definitely be a finish tonight as if any other matches had a finish tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> every, everything is a shenanigan. In both companies, most things are shenanigans. So the crowd is trying to think this is just going to get them hooked and it's going to move on to a pay-per-view. I think Mick is such an unlikely winner. How the fuck do you give it to Mick Foley on a, a Raw? When he kicks out of the corporate elbow, the crowd is hooked. You can hear it. They're like, oh my God, something might happen here. Like Mick's kicked out of basically two finishes. What What is going to happen here? And then when the shattered glass hits, it's they believe it. The crowd thinks it's, it's over. They know he's going to win. You don't have Austin come out here for nothing, you know? And it's just such an unbelievable ending to such a schmoz like i could have a lot of negative things to say about it but it's such a, a crucial moment i really love how austin plays this as well he comes in and he does what he needs to do but he leaves yeah me it's very rare that he would go like whenever he's doing his bits but he genuinely gives him gives mick all the time he's like it's not about me at this point go focus on that like and he makes sure to to push the direction back to mick and it's it's so well done like it's a really subtle thing because it's only when you've, from watching it over the years, you go, like, Austin is the person who always ends the show. So the fact that he's not there, you're like, oh, it's, it's really cool. And he's doing this just in spite of Vince. Like, literally, he just does it, like, fine, I'll put him on there. But then he goes right to Vince, you know, finger, throws his hat. Yeah. See the throwing of the hat is fantastic. I don't know why, but the throwing of the hat is so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's perfect. Uh, and it's uh, it plays to his character very well. He doesn't give a fuck. In, in reality, he doesn't really give a fuck about Mick. He just gives a fuck about screwing Vince. And this is the ultimate screw. Vince has built it up very well. They've built up the whole Mick is a monster. Like the whole speech, you don't deserve to be near the title and tarnish the title. It's inconceivable that Mick can win. He's convinced the crowd of that. And he's convinced the crowd that he, it's the worst thing that would happen to his company. One one thing I will say that's a slight downside is, man, I wish Jr. was here for this call. Unfortunately, yeah. he's out yeah. for like is, is two or three months at this point. Michael Cole is very rough, but yeah, he's, um, he's I would say green. this is it's yeah. it's still probably one of his better calls though, just because I don't think there's any any other way to call it. Like you can tell he's emotional about it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, we'll talk about it a bit more at the end of the show. I agree with you guys. My initial uh, reaction still watching the whole thing over is like goosebumps. Can't believe it. Even though I obviously know about it. Like I write about it a hundred times in his autobiography, but we'll compare it a bit more and uh, break it down a bit more at the end of the show. So what, what are you guys quickly just reactions to raw? It doesn't have to be in comparison to nitro. What did you think going back and watching this old show? Easily digestible. Just very easy watch. Yeah. For good and bad. It's very, yeah. very quick to watch. You don't really have an awful lot of time to really think about it too much, and uh, it moves along very quickly. Obviously, the highs when they're good, when they're high are really high. The lows are really really bad. Probably right. probably worse than WCWs to be fair. Like yeah, the wrestling is awful, but I, I think the the storyline is just is what they're focusing yeah. on here. You have to think about it too. In a couple of weeks, we have a Royal Rumble with Austin and McMahon. It's it's not a real Rumble. It's just a storyline Rumble, which is. It's a bad rumble, but it's cool in its own way because it's 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 all 
revolves around that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Like, really easy to watch. I think there's this thing from other uh, from other mediums. This it's sometimes in books. It's we see it in old Western movies. We see it a lot in like Japanese like anime and stuff like that. A character doesn't need everything explained about it. It just needs some stool, cool stuff happening. Why does Steve Blackman do karate? I don't give a fuck. He's a cool dude that does karate. What is sexual chocolate? We don't need to explain it. His sexy mu- music and he comes out gyrating. These characters don't need long on camera because there's visual aids to it. And a lot of that is helped by the music and stuff like that, which I'm sure we'll, we'll gush over a bit later. But yeah, everything, even though it's short, is really easy to digest on these shows. Yeah, the, the overall presentation and the branding is, is great. Even though WWF, they go over a little over the top of it, like forcing nicknames. But yeah, like you said, sexual chocolate Mark Henry instead of just Mark Henry. Yeah, exactly. Very effective tool. You know, incorporating that also with the music. And that's something WCW we've we've kind of clamored for. The whole package is not quite there, except maybe like Goldberg is like the one character that like they they got right from the top down. Yeah, great comparison, actually. Back into our normal uh, normal state of things, into our normal uh, (laughs) (laughs) into Gus's normal evenings. We're going to look at Nitro. We're going to really quickly look at the penultimate nitro to the to the finger poke and then we're going to look at the actual yeah, and, and hold on gus you shouldn't be signed because i think this eps- the episode that we're going to talk about a little bit here is actually a really good episode so when- oh no i just mean like the, I, I prefer the wf episode to this as a whole that's, that's oh yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah no no question no question this one before the finger poke is is not a bad episode I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah. Gus, what are you bitching about? Yeah. <laughs> this this is this. probably like the best episode. I know. Had I know. In, in I know. Weeks, it's hilarious. Like, and I of course, tell. they immediately ruin it afterwards. <laughs> mm hmm. So, we don't have to go over in too much depth the December 28, 1998 Nitro. This is the before, probably one of the biggest Nitros in history and the last one of 1998. Very forgotten. I had forgotten this happened too. I, I had forgotten pretty much this entire card. Yeah, I, I honestly, in my in my memory, I thought it went from pay per view to to straight finger poke. I yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. This cool. kind of episode blocked out of my mind. There's some key key information. Uh, <laughs> funny enough, which uh, which which one? Flair being poisoned. This <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> <just> poisoned. <laughs> also, his stipulation. But the stipulation is is quite key. This is probably the dumbest. Only WCW would add this kind of thing. Yeah, r- run that down for me. Oh, you know, so Rick is like, I want to, I'll be the president of the company, but only for 90 days, though. Why? What? <laughs> Why do faces throw in this in WCW? It's like the Piper not winning the title is the, <laughs> the, the, the king of the mountain. But all this other stuff, our faces just like purposely are stupid for no, like for no reason. Oh, it's At so least he's consistent to the next episode too. But we'll yeah. we'll, we'll get we'll get there. We we'll get there. We don't need to talk much about the actual uh, matches on this card. Uh, some of them are rehashes of uh, feuds. Some of them are interesting. And uh, Shima is on this card, who is still wrestling today. Uh, hmm. I, I completely forgot Shima, uh, who was an AEW. Remember when they did their like partnership with the Chinese? Yes. Yeah. 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 He, he was like the leader of that kind of uh, thing. So he's still today. And I, I had no idea he had ever fought on Nitro. We have Barry Windham. Again, tickles me every time. Completely forgot he was still wrestling at this time. Do you like his finisher? Yeah. Just good old I don't suplex. Know. Superplex. Nothing else. That, yeah, when's the last time you've seen the Superplex finish a match? 
Yeah, it's true. A, a super a super should yeah, yeah. finish matches. It looks great, right? Versus Prince I okay, I haven't seen them in a while. <sighs> Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio versus Eddie and Hoovy. This is a great match. Yeah. This is great. This is probably the best thing happening in that mid card. Again, we have kind of a rehash of this match on the next next Nitro, so we can get into how good all four of these men are at the moment. It's kind of interesting as well how they like they do build to the filthy animals because they regularly wrestle with each other. That yeah. is true. Actually, I never put two and two together there. Yeah, I've never given them credit for that before. But I was like, actually, to be fair, they they do interact a lot and they have like similar values and stuff a lot of the time. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to comment about that match as well, and uh, a stark difference from uh, the Raws, is that match gets like 13, 14 minutes, I think. That whole match. Yeah, and they, they give like good wrestlers time. And you think I'd like Nitros more because of that, and you'd be fucking wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, like, they only, they typically only give like one match that time. Yes, right. yeah, 100%. And instead, the, like, the extra hour is generally filled with segments. It's not, or, and, and recaps. Actually, most of the extra hour is pretty much recapping what's happened on that show and previous shows. So they generally waste the extra hour. Yeah, so this show revolves around two things. uh, And that is Goldberg-Nash interaction and Nash kind of being sorry for what happened to Goldberg and still, like, having this line of, like, is is, uh, Goldberg beatable? And we have Flair protesting and getting naked about wanting uh, i didn't know uh, that this this was this famous promo was was this show either so i guess i take it back this was the good bargaining of flair you know gene thank you all i can say is thank you but you know what the truth is all this i don't deserve it i got my ass kicked last night and damn it all i'm ashamed of it Eric Bischoff did not, there was interference. You know, and Baltimore knows me, hell I know Baltimore. But I, what am I gonna say? I got in the car last night, I went back to the hotel, I called Arn Anderson, I said, Arn, brother, it's over. I got drunk, I woke up today, I said, it's over. I called my wife, she said, get home, it's over. I got on the plane, I sat down, the flight attendant said, what do you want, Mr. Flair? And I said, hell, I want to go to Baltimore. And that's what it is. You're warming up. Thanks. So Bischoff, wherever you are, and brother, right now, you're the man. I'm asking you, and Baltimore, 18,000 strong, and 20 million people out there to hear me out for the very last time. Me, Gene, who made this coat? Hugo Boss, Armani, you set up broke hell. My life just started, Jack. What, what, is, what is this? Who made this? Perry Ellis? My goodness, uh, I'm starting to... How I travel, you jackass! I'm custom made from head to toe, have been, and always will be! You jackass! Taking all of his clothes here. Shirts, suits. Suits, ties. That's me! I've lived the life of a king! 
because the people have allowed me to. Woo! I don't know what, what, what is the point? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right there. $2,000, alligator, it's yours. $30,000, it's a gold Rolex, it's yours. Hell, you see this? Oh my word, did the guy snap? $100 bill, it's yours. Hey. Yours. Hey, God. Yours. Three grand. I Hey, he just rifled a Gucci shoe. <laughs> what is going on? Bishop! I ain't leaving! Oh, wait a minute! We're in boxer shoes! Just a second! straight I'm telling you Bischoff I will leave the wrestling world forever I will sign my house my cars whatever money I have I'll sign it over to you I will give you the satisfaction of saying you raped the nature boy if you have the you-know-what to walk the aisle here tonight one more time. He called him out. Oh, whoa. Yeah, this is player like handcuffing himself. He has like luggage brought out with him. He, he, he handcuffs himself to the, to the ring ropes. He demands a match with Flair. He, he wants to be president for 90 days. He puts like everything on the line. It's weird, though. This just all happened at the pay-per-view. I'm amazed that he didn't get beaten up. He literally handcuffs himself to the ring, and nobody beats him up. Yeah, he, You can't he, touch a man when he's just in his underwear. <laughs> That's true. They're, 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 they're too worried about that, yeah. Never mind the fact that he essentially wrestles in his underwear every week. <laughs> yeah, eventually um, eventually Bischoff gives in to these demands, and we uh, we have the match on for the night. Again, a rematch. I don't get why. Like This is so much better than what came up to the pay-per-view infinite better why wasn't this just what came up like why wasn't this to build up to the pay-per-view and then why was the pay-per-view match so bad because they care more about the ratings basically yeah but yeah in, in a way i actually it's it's okay in a way that that it came down just like this because the goldberg nash match was the draw of the of the pay-per-view yeah and especially right. with goldberg losing like it's probably better that they didn't have a match that kind of shapes the company for the next couple months to be overshadowed by a match like that, you know? Also, they yeah. barely mentioned Goldberg losing <laughs> on the show. Yeah, That's how about that, right? One. And I don't mind any... Those are all good reasons. I don't mind any of that. But then why have the match in the pay-per-view at all? Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer this happening on a Nitro. I, I like the ratings pop. I like the storyline. It's just... It feels like they've done it twice. <laughs> I do like the line when Flair uh, says yes, and it's uh, if his uh, career ends tonight, it's going to be with him having a piece of Eric's ass, uh, Bischoff's ass, mm. which is nice and uh, motivation, good motivation for the character. He just cares about fucking up Bischoff. There's some people out here tonight that are having a good time over my victory.
I just wish I could share the emotion with you. When I got into professional wrestling nine years ago, it was about three things. Money, power, respect. They say money's the root of all evil. They say money, you can't have enough. Last night wasn't about money. The second thing is power. One thing you can say about being the world champion is you definitely have some power. I'm gonna try tonight to right the wrongs that happen it's Starcade. The first thing being, since Disco Watson the Wolfpack so bad, and Bam Bam Bigelow can't seem to stay out of Goldberg and mine business, I went to the executive committee. Tonight, Disco will face Bam Bam Bigelow. If Disco wins, Hey, we'll make him Wolfpack. If he doesn't, please stay the hell away from us. I gotta touch on another thing. My buddy Scott Hall. There's not a human being on this planet that I got any more love for than Scott Hall. And I know in his twisted mind, he thought what he did last night was a favor. He said he didn't have to answer to anybody. He only had to answer to himself. He's dead wrong. Bill Goldberg, the last thing I want to cover is respect. I got nothing but respect for you. And to make this right, like I said, having the world championship belt gives you a lot of power. So what I'm saying is I'm not asking the committee, I'm demanding next Monday night, me and you Goldberg in Atlanta, for the belt! Oh my goodness! Oh, oh yes! I made some mistakes last night. I won't make them again. But there's one thing I gotta say, cause I gots to know. I think Big Sexy can kick your ass, and I'm gonna give it my best shot. Georgia Dome will never be the same. Kev's fairly straightforward. He just comes out and says, he's like, look, I didn't know that what happened at the time happened. I want to be the baby face. I want to be the fighting champion and I want to prove that I'm better than Goldberg. Effective stuff. And yeah, it yeah. just shows you why the finger poke of doom Nitro was such a big deal. They're like, they're promoting, hey, you better watch. I want to fight Goldberg. Hey, it's in the Georgia Dome. Remember what happened last time we were there? It's a lot of hype for a face versus face match as well. They almost booked a perfect face versus face match, which is really hard yeah. to do. 
And then they just fuck it up. And they just throw it in the garbage. Yeah, it's a shame because they've 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 actually booked this similar kind of match like so well too. Yeah. Uh, Sting and DDP was a fucking awesome match. Yeah, it's, it's a weird it's a weird time where uh, they just have these really cool faces that could carry stuff but aren't kind of allowed to. The rest of the the card is pretty forgettable besides the main event. Bam Bam squashes Disco. Let's go, my boy. Disco, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Conan versus Scott Steiner. I am loving current Scott Steiner, by the way. I'll talk more about that when we talk about the next Nitro. Did you enjoy but... the Nitro ref? Yeah. Yeah, the Nitro ref is... He's making his money. He makes me laugh every time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. It's so, so fucking funny. dumb. <laughs> yeah. All, every match Scott is involved in, zero to five stars. Unwatchable. But still the funniest shit. Like, not good wrestling, but very good TV. Scott Hall uh, gets Brian Adams uh, with Vincent. Nothing much to see here. But then we move on to the main event to become the president for 90 days. And boy, is it a a match of sorts. It's very junky. The four horsemen stop Eric from leaving the building. We get infinite run-ins from the B team that gets dispatched by the horsemen. Giant finally breaks up some of the horsemen. But then Randy Savage returns wearing an NWO t-shirt and all you need to fool the giant is an NWO t-shirt to be frank <laughs> he's not surprised that no one's informed him that Randy Savage is on his side and of course he isn't a low blow by Savage let's uh terrible low blow terrible low terrible blow. performed low blow let's uh flair put the figure four on Bischoff and get the win for control and presidency I love that they use presidency so much it feels very they're very into presidential stuff from WCW at the moment. Uh, not commissioner, not CEO, not some other name. President of WCW uh, for 90 days. All hail President Flair. Randy's entrance is one of my favorite things I've ever watched. It's just the calmness with which he walks down to the ring with some random blonde bimbo. Uh, gorgeous George arm. is her name eventually. Is it Gorgeous George? Okay, I'm yeah. sure. Gorgeous like, George. completely irrelevant. Everybody's brawling with each other and he just casually walks through <laughs> full black and everything, does his bit, and then he just walks out again. You know, it's just a Hall of Famer just walking in. You know, <laughs> yeah. no big deal. That's what's so funny about these two weeks of wrestling that people are like, oh, it's, it's all about the finger poke. I'm like, there's so many little things like this and it's not a little thing, but just random things that happen that WCW just like kind of no, no, no. We, we stand by our, 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 you know, booking decision of the finger poke, but don't, don't mind all the, the nonsense, all the other nonsense that we did. Quick synopsis uh, of what you think of this Nitro before we jump into the very important one. It's actually really good. As this, myself and Connor, you said, I actually think it's quite good. It portrays that there's going to be like a fresh start. Correct. Like it looks like you're like, okay, we're going into a new year. Bischoff is finally deposed, even if it's only for a while. So, like, the faces might actually get to have some comeuppance. Things might change, thing, this and that. And then you're like, oh, there's actually a reason to watch Nitro again. Maybe we'll see this. Maybe we'll see that. Yeah, it does feel kind of fresh, right? It feels like we're watching something a bit new. And it, it feels very different from the pay-per-views that I only really get to watch. Where I'm like, oh, maybe this is kind of new Irish. Every faction kind of have has its new people. Even the heels have like Scott's not new, but his character's invigorated, right? And he's been front and center. Conan, I'm not a fan of, but is front front and center. Nash is a face, you know, getting re over. Goldberg is a face. Uh, feels like they're moving beyond beyond Hogan and Piper, and even Savage here is being a bit player opposed to the main attraction. So yeah, it feels like 
hopeful. Feels hopeful, unfortunately. On to the most infamous Nitro ever. January 4th, 1999. First Nitro of that new year. And we start with a black and white montage of Goldberg versus Nash. This is a very poor montage. <laughs> Why can't they get action shots of Goldberg right? This is like twice in a row. They did the pay-per-view as well. It's just boring. Yeah, as, as we were talking about too, uh, Tony even starts out with, a new day is dawning in pro wrestling. So yeah, it's, we're, we're sticking with that. That new things are coming. Oh, they really love to disappoint us. They really like to set this up. Yeah, then right after that, they announce uh, off the bat, Hogan's in the building. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, the hopes that his presidential thing was real and you'd never have to see him again dashed completely as he's showing up on Nitro. Nitro girls kick us off and the commentary team talk up the main event, the big rematch, uh, and Flair having control now. The Nitro party is uh, is ongoing in like the the like VIP box. It is awkward as fuck. It's just a bunch of chads fucking shouting, <laughs> I, and, and I they have no idea what to do. The one show where they did this, yeah, it's the it? only time they've invited an actual winner to the show, and it's uh, just perfect because it's usually in colleges and stuff right? that. Uh, was it's supposed just to be videotapes, yeah, home video, yeah. And they have popcorn, which I like. It's just going all it's over incredible. the place, and it's they don't know what to say. And it's live TV, guys. Don't be putting this on yourself. In the new era, match number one is Glacier versus Hugh Morris with Jimmy Hart. Oh. Is, is that the first match, or did they, or was it Ric Flair celebra- celebration speech? Or did that come after? Did I just not write it's, that? It's match after. Down? Yeah, yeah. It's after. Oh, okay. It's after. They, Sorry, they, Glacier. We have to. We have to warm up the crowd. Well, let's <laughs> not bother with that that match, please. Yeah, Umaris has a new look here. He does the same old finish and wrestles the exact same way he always has. Glacier has become a jobber, unfortunately. Then we get the opening, the traditional Nitro job. openings. <laughs> like 15 uh, minutes in. Yeah. yeah, 15 minutes in, we get the opener. By the way, Glacier was close to a main eventer at one stage. Because please, please. And then we see Aaron Anderson and Rick and his family walking into the arena. He's walking backstage. His music legitimately loops four times. This is the longest thing I have ever watched in wrestling. He's wearing, he's suited and booted. He looks like an elected official. He's taking his time. There's no urgency to the ring. They're really eating into this Nitro. Three hours is way too long for a wrestling show. Rick is very reserved here. He thanks everyone that stood with him in this ring. He says that five for five years, Eric has run over people and asks Eric to come out. His job at stake. Eric wanders out looking very sullen, like a, a sulky child. Rick says he could fire Eric, but uh, instead is cutting his pay by half and putting him as a color commentator under my uh, Tony Schiavone, which is very insulting to Tony. <laughs> the lowest job he could think of is below Tony. It's the fucking dumbest thing ever. Yeah. It's so it t- bad. To me, it ruins the show. This, 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 is, this is exactly what ruins the show for me. Why not have him on a popcorn stand or something? Or like mopping the floor? And they or do like... this. So the that Nitro I was talking about in like February when it's unopposed. That's yeah. what they do to Bischoff. They make him like clean up the bathroom. Wrestlers are like taking a crap in the bathroom. And he has to like smell it and whatever. And yeah. it's like, it's a, you know, funny segment. It's like, why not do that here? Something. The whole show, we have to see Bischoff just sit there, say nothing. Well, this is the thing. He says nothing. And I actually wouldn't mind that as much. 
But uh, I'll, I'll say it when it comes up. He he randomly just got when uh, Goldberg is talked about, it's like jailbird. So he breaks it. The whole comedy thing is he isn't talking. He's sulky. And then he just breaks that randomly. So I'm like, it's oh. It's not even good comedy, though. Yeah. Tony Schiavone just goes back to the well every, every match. Yep. He ruins a lot of matches. because Three hours back. of this shit. Now, bra- brains were funnier, but still, it's, it's yeah, it's a lot. After this, Rick reinstates Randy Anderson. Oh, the boy. That Eric fired. <laughs> he then, I had forgotten this happened. Poor Randy. He then books himself in a handicap match versus Wyndham and Mr. Perfect. Why would you do that, the president of the company? I don't, I don't know if you guys know about the Randy story, but that's that's actually quite a nice thing, what they do there. It is for sure, but it's just, like, it happened so long ago, and it's just, yeah. when you, you had to take all the bullshit with Eric and the NWO, like, it's not something that you start out with, and it's not something that you take, like, your time with as well. Yeah. yeah. It's just that, so when Randy got fired, the reason they fired him on camera is because he had gotten cancer. So they were like taking him off TV so that he could go take care of himself. So this is bringing him back just to be like, to thank him and give him like a nice send off, essentially. I had forgotten that they got his kids involved. Maybe the kids had fun or whatever, but that seemed like a lot when they were saying, tell your dad that he's still fired and stuff like that. (laughs) That, they probably just had good fun. It was fine, but I'm like, wow, this is this is going fucking hard because I, I know that he had, he had really had uh, had to take time off, but uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of weird. The handicap match is bizarre, except David Flair, future All Star David Flair, says he wants to be <sighs> his partner, and and Rick is like, no, this business is too dangerous, and Aaron's like, meh, let the kid wrestle. And Rick's like, okay, I'll do what Aaron says. <laughs> Arn puts up no argument. It's just like the kid's ready. And Lurk's like, all right, if Arn says you're ready, let's go. It's just weird to me. You have a new president. You think it would be like, all right, we're going to right all the wrongs here. And it's yeah. just like, nope, I'm going to book myself in a match against Hennig <laughs> and Barry Windham. A handicap match. <laughs> this is what we're doing here? <laughs> He's got to right uh, his own personal wrongs first, obviously. It's just so long. Holy crap! This I don't. I didn't time the segment, unfortunately, but it felt like twenty minutes. I don't mind. I don't mind it being long because you want this. You want it to be very grandiose. It's like half an hour in TV time wise, so it's probably about forty forty five minutes at least. Oh my god! Uh, of the show, yeah. This it feels like he doesn't do enough here. The Eric stuff is fun. Like I don't like what they do with him, but they need to address that. But besides that, yeah, it's very kind of disappointing, I would say. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear from Flair a bit more uh, in the card. Uh, we get Conan's rowdy t-shirt for sale. Did you guys see this? What a t-shirt. What a <laughs> match number two of the night, Booker versus Amir Hale. Emery. 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 Do, do we know? Have we seen Don't know. He, he's been on Nitro, but like, whatever. Missile Dropkick comes back to win Booker T. The title still isn't using the bookender the scissors kick it's so funny to see him use the missile drop kick this long as a finish nitro girls have chairs to dance on now says my notes oh my god <laughs> if if you're annoyed by this you have no idea <laughs> i'm not annoyed it's just so funny how often they are i've also noted they get less pg as the night goes on and i wonder if that's oh, yeah. on purpose like kids at the start and then maybe as kids can't watch the whole eh. i don't know but, like, this is a pretty typical night, like, in terms of how much you would see them. I don't I, I don't mind them. It's just, 
it's just weird. Next match, Norman Smiley versus Chavo. We just literally had this on the Nitro. They're just doing it again. This is the big wiggle. Doesn't really get done. Chavo tries a bunch of snappy pins. Eventually gets one. And then Norman Smiley breaks his horse, Pepe. Does he just call everything Pepe? This is pre-Big Wiggle. It's not over at all yet. Yeah, he's just kind of doing it, though. Yeah, he, he does it, but it's not a thing. Like, it's not named. It's nothing. Oh, he's, really? He's a heel, so. Yeah, he breaks the Pepe horse, but like, the commentators don't even, like, comment on it. I thought it was like, like, oh, the horse head come off. Is that not important to Chavo? Is that, not, like, a big part of his character at the moment? Well, Chavo's barely been on the show, so he may as well not have a character again. Oh. Match four, Horace versus Chris. This actually wasn't that bad. Horace was fine. Crossface wins it for Chris. No NWO goons really getting involved, which is kind of weird. But yeah, just have them both on the show, I, I guess. See why. <laughs> Goldberg is under arrest. <laughs> He's- oh man. They give him weight. Business is about to pick up, boys. <laughs> Here we go. 15 minutes in. This is when Raw's, I think, starting or maybe a little after. Yeah. yeah. Goldberg really can't talk. Even like, I don't think he's ever heard a human talk the way he's talking to police here. There's a warrant out for his arrest, he's told. He seems to know one of the local policemen. He threatens to fight all the cops. The most unrealistic thing I've seen in wrestling is that Goldberg isn't dead after that threat. Just <laughs> nine cops. He's like, I'll fight you. He gives in eventually and lets them handcuff him. Says he's only been good for the community. He says this exact line, does all the things with the kids. Can't <laughs> say that. You can't say that on national TV. In fairness to him, he is at least really trying. Like Yes. <laughs> however bad this story is, he's trying. He he only has so much material to work with. So he's really stilted or something here. It's hard, like it's hard to connect with him. But yeah, essentially Goldberg pleading I mean, he's innocent and that police oh police can't take me in. I'm like, well, we have an actual warrant for your arrest. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, that's exactly how arrest works, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> uh, but he's taken in by the police because he's the good guy and uh Nash is irate seeing him being carted off and Hogan's just laughing in the background says he believes in law and order <laughs> yeah Hogan showing up is amazing <laughs> just Hogan in the background going get him boys <laughs> it's, it's amazing is it weird to you guys that Goldberg went for the storyline but he didn't go for the Jericho angle I'm, I'm not I'm not doing that comedy shit but I'll, I'll do stalking angles yeah let's do I, it I think the underlying thing with the I won't do comedy is his excuse. He just didn't want to work with Jericho. Or yeah. just let some work no, for with sure. Hogan. It's, it's, it's still weird to me, though. Yeah, it's yeah, stupid. Yeah. It's stupid when you break it down. Uh, but I think it's literally, I'll work with the guys that make millions, but not with the rest of you plebs. This is attitude. Match five, speaking of uh, the man, Saturn versus Chris Jericho. This is probably one of their, you know, let the mid-carders shine a bit. There's a bit of a match here. Jericho out with Ralphus, still killing me with his finger wags to the to the fans trying to touch touch Jericho. This is a weird kind of gimmick where Jericho pulls the ref in the way of a crossbody. While the ref is down, Jericho just dick kicks Saturn, lion salts, and puts on the walls. And the ref calls for the bell, not the submission, because Saturn hit him. Yeah, this, this is actual continuity, actually. Um, mm. Saturn is feuding with that ref. <laughs> Okay. Because Saturn, <laughs> Saturn beat up that ref, so he, um, the guy didn't want to uh, referee his matches for a while, and 
then he's been like he's been responsible for Saturn losing a bunch of times. Like he he quick counted a, a match of Saturn's, I think, recently enough as well. I love that the end of that sentence was with the ref. Saturn is feuding with I thought Chris Jericho, Ralphus. <laughs> no, 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 with the ref. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he beat up the ref because whatever his previous feud was, the ref screwed him over unintentionally, and Perry took it out on the ref after a match, and it's carried on since then. Oh my god. Yeah. After this, we get to find out what Goldberg is being booked for. He's in a police station, still in cuffs. He's very uncomfortable. Tony Take notes him. that it's across the street here. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very important detail. It's across the road. It's like oh. two minutes away. Take all the suspension out. Elizabeth has filed stalking charges versus Goldberg. My God. What is what has happened? It's weird that they're like, the match is still going to go on. Is he going to make it in time? Like, wouldn't you just postpone it at, at this point? Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like all right if bischoff's in charge sure whatever you know but love- flair's in charge <laughs> you can do what you want i love that the camera's got to follow them into booking <laughs> to, see, to see the charges it's just so unrealistic and cartoonish it's so poor it makes no sense as you say flair could just fix it all if the stalking charges were true, which I know Elizabeth, that dastardly woman, we'd never trust her. Why would you want to show your hero handcuffed for stalking charges? <laughs> any other charge as well. They could have come up with any rubbish to keep him. They could have been like, oh, he broke into a house or something. It had to be stalking Elizabeth. That's really what we had to give. Yep. Yeah, it's so crazy. There's no words. <laughs> and yeah. it makes it makes Elizabeth look awful. Yep. Yeah. Again, different error to do with, with to with women and what people perceive them as. But like this, we're going to go through multiple things where Elizabeth gets interviewed by the police, and it's not fun to watch because women that are stalked have to go through these interviews. You know, it's just not not great. It's like uh, the one woman in the company that's not a Nitro girl, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah, only one. Yeah. To make it even worse, she's basically not been on the shows at all. Like she's barely there. I oh figured. Yeah. Yeah. She's just like there with Hogan a little bit, right? That's it. And uh, no, she usually shows up with Eric actually. She's not she's not with Hogan. Oh fair. Another dance break into another Nitro party break to break up this very serious matter. I I think this is the Nitro party break where someone's like yep. free Goldberg and then someone else is like send him to jail. <laughs> <laughs> NWO, woo, put an innocent man away. <laughs> the, pl- <laughs> the police interview Elizabeth, which is kind of weird. She she's never been great at talking on camera. She's she's been in no. this industry for a very long time. She I do not like when they put mics in front of her. There was a reason she never talked with Randy, and it wasn't just because Randy was insane. <laughs> yeah, and she- has I mean has Goldberg really talked that much either? No. no. So yeah, this is this is the time you want to debut that. Yeah, yeah. yeah talking to police for some officers. character development. Oh my god! <laughs> this next LWO vignette is one of the weirdest things I have ever watched. It's just an LWO party for all their members and random women, and they all have their lowriders, and it's just the LWO guys being mad because Eddie's like being a dick to them, but also stealing all the women. At one point, it's just a bunch of LWO guys sitting there sulking while Eddie walks past with eight women fawning on him. He steals money from a poker game he's not even in. He just tells them to hit the bricks and takes their money. And everyone's a little mad at Eddie. It's so weird. 
Is that just the LWO gimmick? That's the first time they've ever done a, a promo segment for them. <laughs> At least they gave him something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, what, what I love most about that promo is all the star wipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it also goes on. Like, it's not a long it's promo. It's really long for what but, it is. As well. Yeah, but for what it is, I thought it would be two segments of someone just, like, side-eyeing him to, like, have that kind of uh, dissension in the ranks. But it's, like, four or five separate small ones pushed together. Yeah. Like, I'll give them credit that they're actually trying to do something with them. Because they really haven't. It's really just been Eddie trying to get the Cruiserweight title. And it's just a load of guys who follow him around and get beaten up in, in backstage segments. So, El Dandy's there. Bret Hart's favorite luchador. Match six after this vignette is Kidman and Mysterio versus Juventude and Psychosis. Hoovy at the start says, uh, don't worry, Eddie, I'll get him. For some reason, Hoovy refuses to tag into the match, tag Psychosis. But that isn't really... Like explain more in the match, or that's not part of the story. They just go on. I assume it's going to be like because Hoovy and Eddie are like the ultimate heels of that group, and the rest of them will break away eventually. But it's kind of weird. Fast paced cruiserweight stuff here. The, the LWO isolate Ray. Ray catches psychosis with a midair drop kick and gets the hot tag. After some high spots, including stereo crossbodies to the outside, the faces aren't on the same page, and Ray gets missile drop kick in the back after he does a standing switch to set psychosis. Hit the leg drop for the win. Yeah, just fast paced. Not the best we've seen from these guys, but obviously all these guys have charisma. And just furthering a storyline we've seen from uh, from the pay-per-view. Agreed. That's. I think that's what makes this episode fall flat a little bit too. Usually we would get some like really good wrestling sprinkled in here, but I think like a lot of the guys were just not on their game today yeah. too for some reason. I don't uh, know what it was. Chris, <laughs> well, it's very, everything's very short. Chris Perry was the same. I'm like, oh, these guys will step it up and they get into first gear and then the match is over there's also if you watched last year uh last year's i guess technically last year's 1998 nitro that we just covered a lot of these matches are the same or the same treads at least <laughs> goldberg is in cuffs uh he gets told who's accusing him of stalking i'm not sure that's how the law works and says she's full of shit that's certainly what her stalker would say goldberg nash is out to address the situation he says goldberg got screwed at starcade and Nash says Hogan is behind it. He asks Flair to make it right and wants to fight Hogan tonight. Rick comes out and makes it official. I thought this man was retired and or president. Why is why does he get to fight Hogan? I think that's a, a, the other frustrating part about this. Contrasted with McFoley, it, it feels like a journey or it feels like a struggle to get yeah. that title shot. Here's just, oh, you've been gone for a month? No, oh, here. Here's a title shot. You're here. Okay. Na- Nash doesn't like you. You get to fight for his title. That means a lot of people would be fighting for Nash's title. Just thinking about as a fan, like it's no other talent gets like handed title shots, but Hogan, yeah, sure, whatever you want. And so yeah, it was weird for Flair to do that as well. Also, this is burying the lead a little bit. Like if I was a fan, obviously we know the ending, so it's hard to remove yourself. But I feel like something's up now. Why is he fighting Hogan? That's weird. Oh, yeah. And I don't think they've wrestled before. Really? Oh, probably not in a singles match, right? I think no. so. It's a ma- it's a match people want to see. That's why I, I I was generally interested as well. I mean, for the whole time we've been doing the podcast, these two have a history. So it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so I guess even as a fan, if you're tuning in, you're like, well, we won't get Goldberg, but we will get Hogan Nash. Gene comes out, uh, ask Hogan uh, to come out. He's looking very presidential. He says he was gonna announce his retirement properly. And uh, who's running mate for president is, but everything is too negative tonight. He doesn't believe in negative energy. He accepts Nash's challenge. 
which is what a president would do. After this segment, the infamous line is said for the first time. Can we go back to one thing first that oh, of course. makes my skin crawl? Yeah. He calls Goldberg a sexual deviant. Yeah. <laughs> Your top baby phase and Hogan's just like, ah, sexual <laughs> deviant. deviant. Like, what are you doing here? That, that's, I forgot about that line. That's so over the top. The more, the more I watch this, it's just they wanted to bury Goldberg, it seemed like. Yeah, this is... Or certainly, if they didn't, they're incompetent. It is funny, like it's hard to it's hard to contrast Mick and Goldberg. Obviously, completely different animals. But the bad guy ran down Mick, but Mick got to have multiple comeuppance on the show. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens with senior President Hogan in a in a couple minutes. After this, uh, Hogan segment, we get the uttering of the infamous line, one of the most infamous lines in wrestling history. If you're even thinking about changing the channel to our competition, fans do not. Because we understand that Mick Foley, who wrestled here one time as, as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. So he says this a couple times slightly differently over the show. Obviously, this is very infamous. We'll already talk about its ramifications. But it's such a perfect cascading storm of things. This line being uttered, the time it's uttered, how bad this show is, how good the other Raw is, how bad this storyline is, how good the McFoley storyline is, to accumulate into so many people changing channel at the same time is uh, is kind of glorious, to be honest. It's funny, I missed it when it happened. I was I'm preconditioned to just not listen to Hogan promos, so I'm basically just <laughs> tuning out here. No, yeah. um, I'm being honest. As I watched back, I'm like, oh, now I remember why I was tuning out. And Tony says it as they're kind of transitioning to commercial break yeah. as well. So it's like, all right, typical WCW trolling. crap. I don't need to listen to this or whatever. So yeah. my brother goes to me, did you hear what he just said? I was like, what? Mankind's going to win the title. I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> so it was kind of an argument between my brother. Like, no, that's what he said. I'm like, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he you know, we can't just, there's no, you can't just rewind TV at this point either. So you can't just do that. And there's no internet to check. Hey, that's what he said. So that that was why when we ch- we changed it back and Foley's holding the title. That's why I was like, I just look at my brother. I'm like, you fucking. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's also so funny and petty that they do it right before break because they know they're like, oh, most people change channel during commercials because they get bored. So let's yeah. keep them. Let's keep them here. Uh, has one line ever backfired so much in an industry like this? I, I'm unsure. And at the time, I didn't know that they used to do this either. So that's why I'm like, they wouldn't do that. Why would they do that? Yeah, they, they have so many throwaway lines and old episodes about like, yeah, right. Who wants to see that and stuff like that? And Same thing too. Just do I know that Raw is taped and Nitro's live? Like, I don't know. No, exactly. You don't even think about that stuff. The funny thing is it's painted as very petty by WCW and it certainly is. But WWF made similar remarks. As we said, like Laura going, there will be a finish to this match. Like referring to how often main events don't finish in WCW. This one's personal, though, and yes. even Shivani felt really bad about it. This one, yeah. The, the other thing is Mick is, like, renowned as such a nice guy in the industry. It's such a shitty shot to take personally at Mick, the, the butts and seats thing. Uh, he's also a guy that worked for you. I don't know. Burying guys that worked for you is pretty fucking harsh. It's not like he quit and jumped ship either. You you fired this dude. <laughs> he just found another job and you're shitting on him. It, it's, it is ultimate pettiness. Back from commercials, Jericho is showed pre-match to be buttering up the referee. 
telling him that it's some of the best of it. He couldn't count a tree like this referee counts. Very funny moment. But putting a shadow of doubt in his head and making sure that Perry doesn't put hands on him. Seventh match of the night, a lot of Just matches. before we go on, why wasn't that before the match? <laughs> Swerve, bro, you need to be wondering why. Why is it 45 minutes later on in the Good show question, when you've Gus. already forgotten that the match took place? If your fans aren't confused about your show, are you even writing a show? <sighs> Next match, we get a Scott Steiner versus Conan. Scott's currently the TV t- champion. Buff is out dancing with Scott beforehand. Buff tells them to cut the music, ask the women if they'd like to leave their man, to holler if you hear him. Hear him. Is this the start of holler if you hear him? Oh, he's been doing it for ages. Now. He's been doing it for a while. Yeah. Scott says when he's done beating up K-Dog, he's going to go into the crowd and beat up some of the crowd. What a promo. Give this man all the t- titles. Uh, I, I, did, I don't remember him being this great on the mic. Oh, Love he's it. like... It's the exact same promo every week, but he just it just gets it just gets over so much more every week. You're like, yeah, this this works. <laughs> this Especially works. from where he came from of years and years of just being the kind of the bland tag team guy yeah, to this. Yeah. It's so over the top, it's funny. He's pretty much got his look now as well. Apart yeah. from like the chainmail, but that comes later, I think. Chainmail is bizarre. I never got what that was. Yeah, but it looks cool though. It does sound like you're not wrong. I just love the threatening to fight someone in the crowd. I'm just going to go into the crowd and beat one of you guys. It's such old school heel nonsense. Buff tries to blindside Conan, but he's too quick. Conan starts strong, but the number game is too much and uh, lets Scott take control. Again, in this match, Tony says uh, competition isn't live and spoils to fully win. So really hammering it home. Missed that one too, live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think both guys were so gassed. I'm like, ah, I, just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Conan was about to lock into Kila Sunrise or take a nap. They both look very similar. But uh, Buff interferes and they call for the DQ. The fake NWO ref runs out and calls the match for Scott after getting uh, K-Dog and the Steiner recliner. That fake ref, I don't know what it is, and makes me chuckle every time. Yeah, it's it's a great act, but at the same point, you think uh, a certain new president would kind of walk in and... Have something to do with this, yeah. Something yeah. to stop this, you know. Maybe your TV champion getting to not weasel out of their shots, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad. Poor Conan's just got beat up in this feud, by the way. Just Scott threatening Conan all the time and beating him up. It's been, it's been. You enjoyed it though. I mean. Oh yeah, oh yeah. One of these men is a bona fide main eventer, and one isn't. And I'll, I'll let you guys make up your mind who, who it is. One of them has drawn an awful lot of money in Mexico. To be fair. Oh, also Scott Steiner. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Match eight: Rat versus Bam Bam. Oh, you, uh, you, you skipped an amazing uh, trivia thing. Oh, they do sold out promo. Oh, yeah, sorry. Where have you seen that before? I don't know. I'm not sure. It is from the opening intro to Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's that's the promo they use for Malcolm in the Middle is the sold out promo. Fantastic. Yeah, you're not the boss of me now. Yeah. 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 Match eight of the night. We got Rat versus Bam Bam Bigelow. This is a throwaway match. Uh, Rat's like undefeated and wants a better challenge. Open He's challenge. not, unfortunately, undefeated. No? No, no. Somebody had to go over him. Oh, my God. Who went over him? Who do you think went over him? Hogan? No, Nash did. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, a week before, uh, the week before the Goldberg match, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm killing streaks, you know? So he wrestled, Nat- I mean, wrestled Rath. 
That's the stupidest thing. Anyway, I can't. I can't even with that. The match is a no contest after ref is pushed out of the way and they brawl to the back. Bam Bam. Bam Bam does not get clean win. I was was actually pretty excited for this one. Yeah, the both athletic big guys would have been nice to give them five minutes to get some stuff in. Oh, but they're both really bad at it. It's probably the worst thing I've seen from both of them in a long time. They kill each other as heat and the crowd doesn't give a shit either. The only notable thing in this match is Eric pipes up for the first time on commentary. The entire commentary had been teasing Eric all night to an unbearable level where I wanted to scratch my uh, ears out. But uh, he says, Goldberg is jailbait. That's how he breaks the silence. That's the bit. The bit is Eric hasn't talked all night and he breaks the silence by saying Goldberg is jailbait. The stupidest fucking shit I've ever heard. If you're going to do this long, annoying joke, at least the payoff should be something a lot better than Goldberg is jailbait. Like he's in prison punk. In prison punk, yeah. Elizabeth is grilled about her false information after this match and she finally crumbles and says she is mistaken. She withdraws her stalking claims. How she's mistaken is very funny. I'll say that much. Where she's like, he follows me to the gym and to the arenas and to the hotel. And Goldberg's like, yeah, we work together. That's all the places we are all, all the time. And the police like, ah, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> what color tights was he wearing? Oh, red. He doesn't wear. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was the stupidest slide. The other one was like, we well, got the Pepsi machine or the Coke machine. Yeah. <laughs> and like, the man's never wore anything but black in his life. Dance break after this uh, sullen moment. Brian Adams versus DDP is a ninth match. Adams is accompanied by Vincent. Not much to do with this match. There's a nice counter. DDP uh, does a second rope diamond cutter which they mistake as a bulldog for the finish. The police say sorry to Goldberg, and they allow him to go. And Goldberg starts like running out of the building. The police are like, yeah, yeah, get up to the building. But we've told them, we were told it was across the road. Why are the police in such a, such a hurry? Buffer gives away the lead a bit here. But I'd just like to point out, there's 10 minutes left in the show at this point. Yeah, I don't. this is another thing, because we know that it's limited TV time, and it has got cut off before. Like Fans, again, are conditioned with this. How, as a fan, could you be looking at the clock and me going, how is Nash going to fight Hogan and Goldberg here? I think as a fan at the time, I knew Nitro would run long at times. So I was always like just holding out hope. I think I think WCW is actually pretty good with that. And then they did go a little long for this episode, like past Raw, because that's kind of how they got viewers back, even though everybody jumped to Raw. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they still came back, though. That's fair. Oh yeah, that's I'm saying there's ten minutes left in the show. Yeah. This might no, actually I, be like two minutes to go without badly they time keep. Right. Right. <laughs> Buffer gives away the lead a little bit by here by calling it the main event. It's little details, and I know it's believable that there can be two main events, but it's kind of giving away that there's this is the last match of the night. Hogan Why versus would it be the last match of the night. Because Goldberg they Nash said he'd still face Goldberg on the show. Yeah, but they kind of do say that he's not going to come back. That's so I, true. I, I don't see why would, they would think. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Match number 10, uh, Hogan versus Kevin Nash. Hogan is accom- accompanied by Scott Steiner, great pairing. And Nash is out with his buddy, Hall. They hug it out and all fences seem to be mended. This is a weird resolution to this. They, did they talk much about it in the previous Nitro, actually? I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, as I said to you, he said on the promo that Scott would have to answer to him and that he was not involved with the cattle prod thing and he was like not happy yeah. about it. That's that's where you're at at that point. And a big reveal. And they yeah. just throw away. 
Yeah, just at the start of the match, it's kind of weird. I guess like he has his back because Steiner's out there and Steiner's a big threat, but it felt weird. Like they had been leaning, they'd been showing like they would help each other and do stuff, but there's been no real like moment where they've gone, yeah, you're my mate again kind of thing. Yeah, they still got a pretty big pop for the hug, but people love the outsiders. They posture for a few minutes. Nash shoves Hogan in the corner. Hogan in his street still. He doesn't actually have his gear on. Then Hogan winds up for the first big punch and pokes Nash in the chest. Over 40,000 plus. This is better than a playoff game. Now this is what pro wrestling, what world championship wrestling is all about. Very tentative look on Hogan's face, but Nash ready to go at it. Taking their time with each other. Nash trying to get him to hook up at least by shoving the man in the corner. Let's see if that gets a reaction from Hollywood here. Well, he's been in so many big matches. Well, he has. WCW World Heavyweight Champion. What stinks? Hollywood. Oh my God. Nash takes a dive, almost smiling. There's a three count for Hogan, and there's a new champ. All four men get in the ring and celebrate, hugging in the middle of the ring before Goldberg comes out, cleans house, and out comes Luger to help Goldberg. Except it isn't. And they all beat down Goldberg as Eric goes mental with random noises on commentary. Yeah. Random annoying noises, like the scene I, from Dumb and Dumber. I have in my notes, it makes me never want to watch wrestling again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm being honest, actually. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's him doing the mocking judders that's just like, oh God, this is the worst thing possible. They handcuff Goldberg in the ring they spray paint them. This is really harsh. I don't know what they're using as a cattle prod. I don't know if Ho- uh, Goldberg's just selling it, but he seems to want them to stop. I wonder if they had something <laughs> something real, like a jackass moment there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and then they spray him, and they spray his bald head, and he definitely kind of moves his head to be like, stop spraying me. It's definitely getting like on his face and stuff like that. Yeah, this is maybe one of the worst things I've ever watched in wrestling. And I've watched AAA matches. Should have said TNA there. <laughs> boat, boat, boat. I I can't. This is some of the worst booking. Like watching it in full and a with a full show behind it. It's yeah. I, What's I, surprising I to me is it produced more heat than I remember. So I will I will give them that. Do you think it's genuine heat or do you think it's like go away heat? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is it not just people being angry? <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. Because yeah. you can definitely see people are just kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, the Luger does have a little bit of continuity, just to say to you guys, he had been courted by Scott Steiner repeatedly. Yeah, and, and like, that's fine. So Again, it's there is a little bit to that, but it is still dumb. No, it, it's constant. dumb. It's more of just the timing with everything, because yeah. if you think about it, how many turns did we see? And these are all like world champion level guys it's you have scott hall lex luger kevin nash 
And Savage also makes a random appearance as well. Just like you're throwing just so much at one moment here. The Luger reveal could have been next week. It would have had the same effectiveness. It just why is it in the middle of already a weird and shocking storyline? I'm trying to find words to get out how mad I am about this. And I knew this was coming, and I'm still mad. Hey, you, you didn't know the context of the rest of the show, right? You didn't know, like, why Goldberg wasn't there. No, that that is also one of the worst storylines yeah. I've ever seen. That's that's what, that's a part of it, I think, that gets underplayed a lot. Because obviously yes. the moment itself is so bad. But it it's how they get to that moment, and you're like, it's, what are you guys doing? This makes zero sense. Well, I think what gets me as well, that's obviously a bad storyline, but they wanted Goldberg removed. They needed to Aslan uh, Goldberg. They needed to get him out of the building, you know? I understand that. But we remarked at the start of the show, there was a feeling of hopefulness and change. And for that to all come crashing down <laughs> in one, one moment. Probably, yeah, in like 10, 10 seconds, pretty much. Yeah, in 10 seconds. And it's not with like a bunch of new guys, or it's not with some continuity. It's like, ah, let's go back to basically the original NWO with Scott Steiner. I mean, that's literally what they're going to do because they're going to split the NWO into two tiers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really stupid. It's really insulting. I think if you're a fan watching at this time, I think it's reverting back to uh, what what got us the most ratings and was a big surprise where someone turned on someone. Uh, so let's go back to that. But. I don't know. They could have just carried Goldberg for a bit longer. They could have just had Nash versus Goldberg. They could have kept Nash a face. There's just any option besides what they did seemed like a good, you know, reward for the fans keeping engaged, what the fans wanted. And I think sometimes you do have to like book against the fans' feelings and you do have to make them feel bad. Like feeling big downs with your heroes is how you get those big up moments. It's natural storytelling. Was this it, though? Like, Goldberg has just gone through a big down. He just got cattle prodded for a loss. So does does Goldberg really need two big losses and two big moments in a row? Does he really need to be made look stupid twice? It's just a lot that they've done wrong. Like, I just... I can kind of see the logic of why they took the title off of him. Mm-hmm. But I genuinely thought they were going to do, go a complete other direction. So, no, it, it's obviously not... He, they shouldn't have done this with him. I, don't. I, I think where we can go from here because I think we're kind of at a loss of words of quite how bad this is is I'd like to contrast some stuff from the Raw episode and from the Nitro episode to kind of see, I I think our general consensus is we don't like this Nitro but we did quite like the Raw so why why is that? I I think we can look at first, we talked a lot about the production You, you guys like the production of Raw a lot more and I found the same thing why did you like it so much more Connor? As I said, Raw, one, it felt tighter. Two, it has, you feel the emotion. Obviously, that's because the big baby face is winning in this show. It's not happening. WCW, in general, just feels very sterile. Um, I I think that this episode reminded me why I didn't like Tony Schiavone. The whole show kind of felt robotic to me. And I I, I remember early in the podcast, he was much better with the, with, delivering the storylines here but this one he he's just put in an awkward spot because one i have to shit on mick foley two i have to kind of do jumping jacks to describe the goldberg situation like a commentator shouldn't have to be like come like talking about legal issues and the legal system like that that's just not putting up your your people to succeed makes the show just really awkward and just like 
I don't know. How are we supposed to feel here? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think certainly the people like Shivani aren't given the tools to succeed. I don't think Shivani's bad as his job, but like, yeah, having to say stuff on air, how do you deliver properly? And yeah, the production makes a huge difference show to show. I, I felt that maybe it's because I've watched a lot of WCW and I'm kind of bored of it that something different and bright is what I want. But WWF make a really good use out of what they have and to get their message across. Uh, I use this example a lot. I don't know if I've used it in the podcast before, but you guys remember the uh, the Batman cartoon, right? The the nineties yeah, Batman series. cartoon, yeah, mm-hmm. the animated series. So I've heard people who work on that talk about before that they were under a lot of restrictions because it's a kids cartoon, right? So every week they had to send it off and see if it got by censorship. And sometimes it didn't. There's a famous scene where someone fell from a roof onto a car. And they, they're like, you can't show that to kids. It's too violent. So instead what they do is they had the shot from Commissioner Gordon's view in the car, someone falling onto the hood. And that was allowed by the censors, but was way more brutal looking. So a creativity can thrive usually under restraints. Yeah. And it feels like NWO has like, uh, the NWO and uh, Nitro and WCW has way too much freedom at times of just kind of doing what they want and having too much time, where WWF felt under pressure. They had to change. They had to be snappy. They're pre-recorded. They only have two hours. They have to get their characters across, and their old main eventers are gone or not working. They have to move on to the future. So they were forced into these changes, and these changes were probably better than what they would have pitched in the first place if they weren't under any pressure. The cartoon, the Batman cartoon, did the same thing. There's lots of examples of them not being able to do a bunch of stuff, but that made the creative minds have to change and come out with a better product. In many ways, I think Vince and WWE, uh, they stole a lot of what was actually the most popular thing at the time, just not in terms of like revenue and turnover in ECW. I would be very shocked if I, if I was to be told that Paul Heyman didn't want ECW to look exactly like WWF Raw. If you had stuck ECW in that kind of platform, I think it would be awesome. But in the ways that he knew he had to, much as you say, he has to get past censorship, he has to get past all these different things, it's just slightly twisted so that it works a bit more for them. The Road Dog match is a good example because they're doing the hardcore stuff, but they're not like bleeding all over the place and they're not like jamming forks into their heads and stuff. Like they're using these really dramatic looking things like like those pipes i don't know why every single arena always had those pipes for example but i'll always remember that because they've just this lovely noise when they fall everywhere and they crack off everything and they probably don't do any damage whatsoever but they're really stylistically they help the overall match because it's something that just kind of it's like an explosion or like again a batman thing of a pow like the adam west style so i think for them they chose to steal a bunch of stuff also they didn't have the all the money in the world supposedly and they had to move on from people and and so on but they they used it with purpose whereas wcw i don't know they just they just got lazy very very quickly like as soon as they got any sort of success they were like oh we're sorted Nothing can go wrong now. And they just kind of ambled along and they didn't really look at anything. The other part of it is, I think, especially on the announcer front, from a morale standpoint. Now, for a lot of the wrestlers, it's very, they're always professional and they do their jobs and whatever. But like, I can't count the amount of times that 
one of us points out that Bobby is not in a great mood and he is like just disinterested or he's just cracking jokes that are just pointless and it's not serving anything. Now, I can't think of any time I've ever heard any announcer in WWF or WWE for that matter who have been that bad and that off for an extended period of time where they haven't gone, you're out because you're not good enough. Like, there's no way they would have kept Bobby in with with the way he was. But instead, he's just kind of lumped out there because they're like, well, we're paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars, so what else are we supposed to do? And then it's the same with Tony. Like, I don't know how motivated Tony is. Like, do they all know what the end of this show is and they're all just deflated? Could be. Like, they're just like, I can't believe we're going to do this, but sure, yeah, okay, and we'll just go ahead with it. Like, I think they're just tired. There is no real through line for them they're not really sure where they're going next and then when they find out that this is the result it's like ugh, what are we doing yeah it's funny you say that so i i, I watched a couple of random what happened when episodes and and tony kind of mentions as they go into 99 he says like i don't remember any of this like i deliberately <laughs> just black it out put, just blacked it out yeah. um particularly one show like halloween havoc 99 where it has a very similar uh, Hogan laying down moment that, you know, very few people remember. They remember this moment a lot more. He's like, I, I don't remember that. Like, why don't people remember that? Well, like, well, at this stage, people are still watching WCW. This is the Georgia. It is fucking packed. Yeah. This show does a good rating. Like the audience is still captivated at this point and it's still captivated in both shows. Obviously, this was some kind of turning point, and obviously, we can talk about that in a little bit here. <laughs> One of the other uh, major things I think between both shows is the mid card. This gets talked about a lot with talents like Jericho and Eddie Guerrero and WCW producing great matches around Mysterio. But the mid card was also really interesting in WWF at this time, and everyone had a storyline. Oh. Which, which one do you guys prefer, or do you do you have a preference? Do you think that's like majorly different on the shows in WCW? Yeah. Throughout 98, we had some okay stuff. I mean, there was the Jericho storyline, which was pretty good. And then Eddie Chavo had some entertaining moments. But like other than that, it's it's very slim pickings. I think, too, the way you're approaching it, and it's very true, is that it's just one person carrying a thing. Yeah. Like, I as much as Chavo is a part of that stuff with Eddie, it is Eddie that's doing all that. And Chavo is just there for the ride and yeah. any any raven storylines yeah it's mostly just raven yeah yeah and 100 anything jericho is doing is all on his own and is just making it up as he goes along and it, it is the better for it but there's no collaboration going on really there's no end goal beyond i'm gonna see what sticks and see where we go like yeah i, I think i can completely agree on that there might be more talent in wcw but uh as we come to the raw there's more of a storyline. Raw has more purpose. They're more urgent. They're more snappy. And this is their two hours, yes. And are the matches worse? Yeah, 100%. We're not going to get a random Rey Mysterio banger I mean, in the middle of Raw. But. There's a perfect example of on Raw. Like, on, on that Raw, not only do you get Mankind winning the title, which progresses that storyline, you also have Vince is made number two in the Royal Rumble. And they know that Austin is number one in the Royal Rumble. So now they already know like what the main thing is going to be for the Royal Rumble, which is their pay-per-view, which is still three weeks away. All we got about sold out was a random promo segment. 
Yeah. There's no whoa, 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 whoa. Yet. Flair versus uh Hennig and Barry Windham. Of okay, course. sure, okay. That's fair. We we got one match. We got we did get a match, yeah, yeah. But like that's that's the bare bones of it. Uh obviously yeah. it was so memorable I almost forgot it already. But I don't even know like what when it is. I, I like why why are they fight. fighting again? Like we don't understand. Yeah. Like don't I know, know why we're fighting because I've watched every single Nitro, but like uh and it is like a little bit of continuity, but yeah, it's just it's disjointed. Yeah, and I, I th- use the word continuity as far as that going to the just upper card as well. And you look at 98, there's a, there's a progression in 98 with WWF easily. And even WCW was so 96, 97, we knew the clear storylines in the upper card. 98 has just been this lost jumble mess. So we were supposed to have kind of like the splitting of the two factions. And then it's just kind of like, meanders until Goldberg does his thing and then now we just have this it's not even that he does his thing it's that it meanders until they can't ignore it any longer yeah like it's not even the plan I'm willing to give some amount of leeway in that I'm sure Randy was going to be more important to them they can't count on them being injured can't count on the stuff happening with Flair either like I assume he would have been involved for most of the year if not for all the legal stuff and then Sting is injured or doing films or whatever anyway. So he's kind of gone as well. So I think the whole fulcrum of them running Wolfpack versus the black and white just disappears before they can really get it going. I, I think the, the other big storyline that both companies are doing, easy contrast to make, is Eric and Vince and their characters. And this episode of Nitro especially. So Vince obviously gets his comeuppance on Raw, but he gets his comeuppance a lot, and this it goes up in waves a bunch, right? Yeah, and uh, Vince's so, storyline is very organic, and it involves lots of other characters. But in contrast with WCW, you have Bischoff and Flair, and it's just kind of there. What, like, why are these guys feuding? I, I can totally understand why... McMahon hates Austin Flair and Bischoff. It's more of like, yeah. it's a bit too inside baseball to work. Yeah. This episode of Nitro was dominated by Eric. And then is weird and like moany at the end. And like the whole episode is why won't Eric talk? And he's such a vocal point. I think he's so much worse of a foil to Goldberg or sting or any of the good faces then Vince is a foil to the good faces of the other company. So not only is Vince Austin this ultimate bad guy, good guy, you know, working class versus the rich snobby boss fight, but you also have Mankind Vince, which is like elitism of Vince, you know, ugly people can't be champions. Like you're bullied in school, you're fat, you can't make it. And him getting overthrown for that, he makes both both of these faces. And he does a similar thing with The Rock later. Is Vince just so much better than Eric at this, like, bad boss thing? Yes. Oh God, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I Vince is, uh, for whatever reason, he is an incredible uh, promo guy, and he's good, great character, and everything. But even beyond that, you've said it yourself, and we've said it along through this. Through this, he repeatedly gets his comeuppance, and when he does it, he takes it. Eric never does that. Like he never gets his comeuppance, and when he did, he was sulking. And he didn't, he made it all about himself and how he's like, this is not the way things are. Whereas when Vince gets his comeuppance, he lets the babyface have their moment. He lets them be the thing. 
and he steps to the side and acknowledges, I've been beaten, have your moment. Whereas Eric is like, no, you've just gotten lucky or you've done this or you've done that and he sucks and he's a child and he puts all the attention back on him again until he's back in his good spot and then he gets to lord it over whatever. Very similar to how Hogan acts as well. Bischoff always seems to be in his shadow with this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to be as cool as Hogan a lot. And he isn't. And I guess there's a level of that which is like, you can look at it and go, what a dork, he's trying to be cool. But that would work if he, you know, was made a fool of a bunch. He isn't. This is one of the major times he is made a fool of. And he just bounces right back. We don't even get to bask in it. By the end of the episode, he's back on top. But he's also just a nuisance the entire show. It's not, you're never, you never feel great about what's happening to him. Yeah. Him sulking isn't the same as us getting to bask in his failure, right? Like, there's a bit of that, and they comment, like, oh, under Tony, that's the worst place in the company. But it's almost like we're shitting on Tony Schiavone above, <laughs> above like, do, Eric. Do they really need to have him on commentary for this episode? No, or he could have been demoted to something else. Or sure, like, yeah, like, or have him be the janitor, like, in the Nitro that they do later yeah. on. I was going to give them some credit. I get that they want him on commentary at the end of the show. To be like, ah, we got you all if you want that yeah. feeling. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, not needed. It's not needed, but if it's yeah, done, it's a bad call. it needs to be done with some subtlety. It needs to be done with Eric being like, well, 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 I can talk now or whatever. Instead, he makes bzzzed noises whenever the taser goes off. Just thinking about that makes me want to quit watching wrestling forever. Another thing I think that separates these shows, again, not being able to really vocalize quite how much I hate uh, the treatment of people in WCW is the new rising faces about companies. So we obviously have Goldberg. This whole storyline is centered around Goldberg and Nash to an extent that's been around, but his baby face push is new. And then we have in WWF, we have Austin and Mick. Mick has been around for a while. Austin's been around for a little bit now, but obviously their main event pushes are new. We're starting to see both the characters as we know them. Like Austin is nearly. <laughs> I, love, I love how you're mentioning like as if they've just started and I've just completely ignored The Rock. who's <laughs> like probably the biggest yeah. star they've ever made. And he's no, only we'll, just gotten the title like very we'll, recently. We'll, we'll get to The Rock, but he's not a good guy yet. They're, they're going to push him. It's very yeah, interesting. But he's a new, a new star like. That is true. He, no, he is a new star. I, I'm just more thinking of how they're treating their baby faces at this oh, point. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, uh, their new kind of up and coming baby faces. The Rock is going to be that, and the way they get him there is very extraordinary. And we always base, you know, people who are failing, we tell them to treat them like they did The Rock. But Austin and Mankind are treated with, uh, you know, these big pops. They give them big moments where the NWO seem to get all the big moments in WCW, right? Yeah. Goldberg, too. Yes. Yeah. Certain extent, yeah. like, it's, it's their biggest remember, seller, so they think that's the thing. When's the last Nitro that you remember where you're like, yeah, we leave with one of the big baby faces on a high? Last week, I guess. It, it could be the Georgia Dome. And yeah, the Georgia Dome, without a doubt, yeah. It yeah. could very well be Luger the Georgia Luger winning title. Yeah, it, it feel, they feel, feel few and far in between. And maybe they're safe for pay-per-views. Some pay-per-views do have good endings for them. And like there's a couple times where... You know, Luger is, is one of the big examples, but yeah, they're they're letting the Rock, they're letting Austin and Mankind win on normal shows. They're giving the fans like something to cheer about. Now they're having them also lose, and they have been screw over Austin a bunch. That's fine, but both things are happening, and they're letting their faces get bigger and bigger and more over. 
it feels like they're doing the exact opposite in WCW. Like, well, they have to be downtrodden and underdogs, or are we even doing our jobs, you know? The WCW guys, it seems like you can never get one over on any of them, really. It seems like they have no vulnerabilities, but in WWF, Vince was always thwarted by mankind in Austin oh, yeah. by stunts and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. visiting them in the hospital or Zamboni yeah. trips or the beer truck. Yeah. The beer truck they did. There were so many stunts that could just yeah. take them off their game. It feels like uh bugs bunny almost, right? Sure. There's a chase and like the, the bad guy thinks they're winning a lot of the time, but Austin always has the upper hand really, you know, and that's what the fans love. They just want to see their heroes succeed. Yeah. More Wiley coyote then. <laughs> Yeah, probably maybe more yeah. wild. But like Bugs Bunny with Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd always thinks he's ahead. He's smarter than the rabbit. And yeah, Bugs is uh, an asshole. Yeah, Bo- Bugs is an asshole getting all these little ribs in on Elmer Fudd the entire way through, right? Uh, he's always in control. That always felt the same with Austin. Austin's always in control. Yeah, some shitty stuff happens to him. Yeah, Vince is there. But we know Austin's going to get Vince. Come back, you know? yeah. yeah, come back, get Vince. I don't. I'm not confident Goldberg's going to get that title back if I'm watching this. That's the worst aspect of all of this. So looking forward to the rest of Goldberg's WCW run. It, it's grim. Like, wh- what the fuck did they do with Goldberg? Like, what did he do to piss everyone off? Like, I understand to a certain degree of animosity from the veterans. You know, Triple H burying him on Tough Enough, for example. But the guy is making you money. Why not continue to build around him now? The Nash and Bischoff shoot interviews, they explain the old school Hogan philosophy type of plan that they laid out for him. They, they just didn't seem to execute said plan, though. So can you guys wager a guess when they actually gave Goldberg a world title shot on pay-per-view in 99? And I'm not counting bullshit DQ finishes from Nitro main events either. Oh, I don't know, actually. It's not soon, anyway. I, I, I'd assume soon. No, it's not. He, he, like, he wrestles Hall first, right? Yeah, he wrestles Hall at sold out in a ladder match, which is supposed to be actually a decent match. You know, no surprise from either guy. But again, they claim this guy can't wrestle more than three minutes. But again, I, I digress. He also wrestles Bam Bam at the following pay-per-view. So if that's your plan, your plan sucks. So the answer is actually not until Halloween Havoc 1999. His next chance technically is a, you know, bullshit DQ Nitro main event. But that's all the way in April, four months after this. And that's actually when he finally faces Kevin Nash as well. So it's just so weird because around this time, the week-to-week era, and it's four months until you face Kevin Nash, this big storyline. Yeah. Jesus. Cannot believe that, yeah. and he and he never won the belt back again. Yeah, yeah, he never wins the belt again. I did know that. I never knew that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Shit. Yeah, yeah, he never wins it again. Because <laughs> wow. he ends up like breaking breaking the window and gets injured and all that kind of shit happens. But that that actually never that doesn't happen until like late in the year. You know the the interviews they get it wrong that they said oh they they screwed it up with his oh, arm. Really? Yeah. I assume. I assumed it was in this year he got injured. Like, yeah, but it's much months. later, so it doesn't screw up anything. Yeah, it's late, late enough. Like, yeah, so yeah. this whole plan was ruined by his broken arm. No, that that's just all <laughs> bullshit, man. You can't just blame it on that. Hey, listen, guys, look at what they've been doing with DDP since. Well, at least they had their Halloween Havoc match for for him. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's just he just kind of goes into a void for a while, like like nothing happens with him. Like he was on this show wrestling. Who was it again? 
uh, Brian Adams. Brian Adams, like, who gives a shit? Like, Brian Adams is terrible. Like, Brian Adams, as I'm sure we'll get back onto, has one of the worst presentations you'll ever see. It feels, like, yeah, it feels like they've put a bunch of their over faces and holding patterns, right? Booker T and DDP being the big ones that they push later when it's probably too late. But because they're so focused on Goldberg, they put them in holding patterns where WWF seem to be able to push multiple people. Rock, Austin, Mankind, Taker, Kane, all very over at the stage and all getting shots in like the limelight where they seem to fail at this again and again in WCW. To be honest, with the way they, with having watched these Nitros now, I don't think they had any plans for Booker. No. At all, so. No, I think that's bullshit. I think... I think the Booker thing, people might go, yeah, no, Booker wasn't the plans. He never was. He was a mid-carder, and then when they start failing, they realize they needed to change stuff yeah. way, way, way too late, and then they gave Booker a chance, which sucks. Booker's great. Yeah, and speaking of Booker and the later years of WCW, can you guys guess the amazing list of heavyweight champions WCW had in the 2000s? Uh, we got Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, we got two, Jeff Jarrett. Yep, Jeff Jarrett. You got one. Booker Scott T. Scott Steiner. Yep, Booker and Scott. Yeah. Is Arquette 2000? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, then that means Russo's 2000 as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Did you say Brett? I didn't say No, Brett. Brett never got oh, in 2000. Uh, the, I, I, Booker. Did you name Booker? Yeah. Yeah. All right, you guys got two uh, more. One's a mid-carder, one's a main eventer. DDP? No, he was 99. Oh, Benoit. There you go. Yep. Oh, yeah. I forgot he didn't leave. Until Very then. briefly. Yeah. All right, one more. Sid Vicious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, yeah. I mean, he has his famous moment against Scott. Yeah, and he also has a Ooh. decent match with Goldberg, ironically, at that uh, Halloween Havoc 99. It's actually a good match. <laughs> go figure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know what they... I wonder what he was doing. I, I just don't know what... They, why did they hate Goldberg so much? This this is where a bunch of the shoot stuff comes Personalities, from. Personalities, I imagine. Yeah, you never know. But Goldberg claimed for a long time uh, in shoot interviews that they all hated him. Hogan, Nash, they, they were all scared of losing their spot. So they conspired against him. And then they all go, nah, he's just green and doesn't know what's happening. We, we wanted the company to be built around him. And you have no idea who to believe. That's all a cluster. We're never going to know who's telling the truth there because we're never going to know what they think. Um I would say booking-wise, you are either negligent and didn't know how to book, or you didn't want Goldberg to stay over. That's what it feels like from a fan perspective anyway. Well, in typical WCW fashion, nobody remembers who really came up with this angle, although it really doesn't matter who came up with yeah. came up with the whole angle. Nash always, passes the, Nash always passes the bookies. I was like, ah, who knows? Like, You're a booker. Uh, just whatever. I mean... The other yeah. fun booking aspect of this, or the fun rumor yeah, here, yeah, yeah. is with the NBC negotiations going down for the, the special a month away from this, there was a rumor that NBC wanted Hogan versus Savage in the main event. So do you guys think that influenced this awful booking? Because Savage actually shows up and we don't see him again until April. Yeah, I could see that. I could yeah, see I that. Could well believe that yeah. It's very reminiscent of the Saudi stuff. Yeah. But it, it's even uh, current AEW stuff, right? It, like when contracts come up, you want certain people under contract and certain p- parts of your company, you know, and 
I could see that influencing them, and I can't speak to how hard it must be to have an executive break down your neck like that, so you could always give them a bit of... But there's also different ways to do it. You could have got that championship on Hogan different ways. You could just incapacitate Goldberg, have him fuck Goldberg fuck over Nash, or have a proper match. People wanted to see Hogan Nash, and then have Goldberg chase Hogan again, and have Nash go do something else, be, be the outsiders, go win the tag team titles off Scott. Off who, sorry? Off who? I said, does Scott Steiner have the tag no. team championships? Oh, who has the tag team championships? <laughs> I actually don't even remember now. <laughs> Is it Rick? Oh, sorry. It's it's your man. Uh, it's Rick and um, and the guy oh from my, High Voltage. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah. Have them, have them beat Rick, even though they're faces. Fuck Rick. So do you guys want to talk about the Bischoff quote from 83 Weeks? Oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay. So uh, basically... To paraphrase this, he says, were there creative, res- were there creative mistakes? Sure. I'll take res- responsibility for that. He basically responds with, but was the finger poke of doom a turning point? Absolutely not. That's just asinine. Oh, wow. There were several turning points. It was not just one, and they certainly weren't creative turning points. That's just wrestling dirt sheet nonsense. The real turning point was in mid-98, when I was told you were no longer to go and you were no longer going to use the formula that got you to the dance. You were no longer going to use the formula that almost put Vince McMahon out of the business. <laughs> oh, Eric. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of truth to that quote, but at the same time, I feel like he's still a little tone oh, deaf God. with how the fans felt in the moment. Now, I would agree with him on a timeline perspective, not his reasoning. Yeah. So I, I, I do think that Austin's ascendancy is when it started to go wrong for them. I don't think it's anything to do with what he says there in that he was restricted or whatever, all that bullshit. But I do think that's the, st- that's the beginning of the problem, is Austin becomes huge. The finger poke is absolutely a turning point. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can see from their perspective, like they're worried about the next yeah. program of television they need to produce, and they, and they just moved on. But as a fan in the moment, I was pissed, and we'll never forget the moment. So it was yeah, a comforting yeah. feeling that I wasn't alone looking at the Th- retrospectives is, later on. This is one of the stupidest things I've ever read. Uh, <laughs> of course it's a turning point. It's the first time they lost the ratings. They well, could literally measure how many people changed the channel after they said the puts and seats. The ratings that- factor is really a, a non-starter, though. The, the ratings at this time were pretty even. And as far as the butts and seats... I, I think it's still a turning point. It's the first time they win the ratings. They did lose a lot of ratings at the time, I, but people did come back afterwards. But it's definitely a turning yeah. point. It is not their turning point because Eric made so many mistakes. That's hard to measure. There's not one individual turning point. They make lots of tiny mistakes throughout the whole thing. And they make lots of really big mistakes throughout the whole thing. Uh, where WWE hit a lot of stuff out of the park with their guys. WWF also make mistakes, and there's lots of awful storylines and wrestlers that don't work out. But when they find something that's successful, they drove it home. They went with it. You know what you did to Goldberg? You cattle prod him to that. Like, <laughs> so I, I I hate when Eric says stuff like this. And Eric always, uh, Vince also has this. They have this weird hatred of the quote-unquote dirt sheets. And I think it's because the dirt sheets do sometimes speak truths. So they get very kind of weird about it. Yeah, defensive. Yeah, because if they never spoke truths, why the fuck would you care what they said? This is a turning point. As you said yourself, Connor, like you didn't really want to miss Raws after this as a as a young man. You know, like I wouldn't either. If someone like Mick Foley can become champion on TV, 
why would I ever want to miss a main event of Raw again if the championship was up for grabs? It made it feel special. Now, that also knocks onto some very bad championship hot uh, potatoing later on to keep up this kind of impression, to keep up people uh, needing to needing to see your stuff live or before anyone else does. But this is a turning point, and I think a lot of people would have thought, like you, Connor, I can afford to miss Nitros because they're doing weird-ass shit. They're swerving me. They're setting me up to see one match, and then I'm not even getting to see the match I want. Yeah, and in this, in this, yeah, and the finger poke in particular, it's just they're the fact that they're kind of laughing at you. Why? Why would I want to turn tune back into that just for them to laugh at me again? Because they've done this before. Yeah, it's insulting. Yeah, yeah. This swerve is insulting to the fans, and it misuses their trust. They're not going to trust you next time. You're like big main event coming up. You're like, I don't believe you. And if it does happen, it might just be like shenanigans two minutes in. I think what's annoying me about this quote the most is him going, oh, I had to change my formula. I don't, what did he change? I know, Gus. I don't I don't know. He he goes on and on about that. And come on, yeah. Eric, please just stop. That doesn't make any sense to me because it's literally the same show all the time. Yeah. I don't understand what he means there. Like, is, I, he sounds like he's being deliberately vague so that like, they can never pin anything on them there. Uh. Yeah, there, there's some of that. There's a lot of that in a lot of the old WCW shoot interviews and podcasts. But I think maybe kind of what he's saying is like we can't use the the realism. We can't use the raunchy language that WWF uses. But the, WCW can definitely pivot here, and you can see it with Goldberg. You can you can find ways to get around that type of stuff and and draw ratings and be a good product though. Yeah, that's something I did a month ago. I've done like eight shows since then. So, yeah. There is a conditioning of your fans. There is setting expectation for your fans. And the expectation of a WCW person is to be disappointed. And now the expectation of a WBF person is to get more than was promised. You know, big, nice surprises. It takes time. So I agree with him somewhat about the turning point. There isn't an individual turning point. You eroded your fans' trust over time. And now it's gone and the other company has gained the fans' trust and captured their imagination. And you've lost that. And it, it just seemed, it's kind of serendipitous, the exact point Mick wins and one of the worst fan moments happens in WCW at the same time. I don't know if it's, a, if it's because they're trying to outdo each other and they're trying to come out all guns blazing into a new year or they, you know, because WCW, because uh, WWF was pre-taped, they knew they were doing something big with their show, so felt that they needed to like one up them. But it's it's very funny that these two points coincide. And looking back at the ratings at the following week, I mean he's kind of right. You can tell fans stuck around to see how this angle played out. But soon after that, the the, the fans left in droves. I mean that's that's about maybe like yeah. two months. They never really could top them. The only the way they they topped in the, the ratings is when they were unopposed. Yeah. So they, they, they could really never counter. I mean, they, they did pull a good number in the, the February pay-per-view, but then after that, it just steep, steep decline after that. They just never recovered after that. And yeah, the fans were just... Yeah, you can you can see by the end of the year. like Yeah, it's just... But by that time, they're done. It gets to Austin Rock and that's game over. Like Yeah, that, that angle doesn't help you. <laughs> Yeah, so some of the things by the end of the next year to Austin Rock, both of them are megastars. Mick writes, uh, I think it's this year, and this year he writes his book. 
his autobiography. I want to say 99, but that's on a bestseller. You see all the WWF guys. So we saw the, you know, the involvement with Conan and mainstream TV that WCW had that completely swings. You start to see those guys go into like Saturday Night Live, the WWF guys and have bestselling books and they get to video games. The tidal wave is now. And if this isn't a turning point, what does Eric think is a turning point this year? You know, like it, it's all downhill from here. And I, I thought that a bunch of, doing this podcast has made me look at it a bit harder and i thought a bunch of the talking points people had were false because a lot of the narrative is driven by the victor wbf releases the dvd does the promos people doing shoot promos are going to think about their future employer and what they think about what they say but a lot of it is true wcw really put the nails in their own coffin for a lot of this stuff i'm going to ask you guys the question i ask at the end of a lot of shows we do but i'm going to ask you a different twist connor uh, did you enjoy these shows? And in the end, whose side are you on? Are you WWF guy or are you a WCW guy? <laughs> oh, uh, I think in the end, I don't really like either show that much. Obviously, the main event in the WWF show had had the pop and had that such great moment for McFoley. But for the rest of the show, it's really hard to go back and watch it. And as a kid, I don't think I remember really, really enjoyed that show on the whole anyways. And for WCW, it, it really kind of just confirms like my feelings at the time. And what I've you know figured out more and more this time is just Hogan really needed to be checked. We need some check and balances in, in this company. Yeah. And Eric is just not the, the guy to do it. He's he wants to be buddy buddy with Hogan. And it shows up constantly. And I found those characters as annoying as I did as a, as a kid. So it was, it was just even worse this time around. Uh, I, I felt I had to skip those segments every time. And just, just then the, the way they acted on this show, it made it even more infuriating as far as whose side I'm on. I can't really say much else than I'm on WCW side. And more specifically, I would be on Goldberg side throughout this whole thing. I, I still can't believe that they never gave him the title back. And I just, I feel worse for him because he did everything he could. Yeah, he was green in the business, but man, how, how can you not develop him as a star and just work with him more? And again, claim that he can't work great matches on pay-per-view. And he obviously can, he, do, and he does later on too. It felt weird punishing him for that. I wish they could maybe... Realize that instead of just making up all these bullshit excuses for the, for this uh, this moment in this era, it's really sad that it turned out this way. And how about you, Gus? Did you enjoy the shows? And which company side are you on? Yeah, I'd echo a lot of what Connor would say. Like that show, the Raw show, is really just the main event, and it's while it's easy to watch and whatever, it's a lot of it isn't very good, and several pieces of it were incredibly difficult. Uh, from a very negative standpoint when you look at it back now in current time but that was WWF a lot of it was like that they kind of held on because of how good their main event guys were so I think that's why I liked it I think I would have liked it less if I was watching Raw's all the time at that point because it was so difficult to watch over here a lot of what I saw outside of the pay-per-views was the live wire based recaps so you're just seeing like the important bits and you're seeing the bits that will keep you drag drawing you back in. So it's interesting as a perspective, but 
I would have liked to have seen WCW, I think, back in the day, just to see as a contrast and see what other people were up to. It's not nearly as bad as people think. I think people shit on it really badly because of 99 and when it all goes to hell, like when everything falls apart and everything about that. But the period we watched, I think, is genuinely has a lot going for it. And there's a reason they got ahead. Like, yeah, I wish you could blend the two of them somehow. Uh, I definitely agree on the boss aspect. They they had problems with just having too many personalities there. Not a clear system. Probably the boss just wanting to be the cool guy too much of the time. Exactly. Uh, and not being the actual boss like Vince was. Uh, I actually think that's happening again now in current day wrestling. Mm. I think Mr. Khan is too much like Eric. Yeah. Way too much. Good comparison. Uh, and it's happening in a very similar fashion. I think the only real difference is that the guys who are involved now this time around aren't as big egos as Hogan and stuff. I, I mean, I've always been a WWF guy. I don't think anything here would have swayed me off of WWF. The highs of WWF make it for me. If I was on somebody's side, it's probably Chris's, Mr. Jericho's, because he saw it. He knew what was coming. He realized he jumped at the right time. And I think it shows that he made a, a, a great decision in the end. I suspect that uh, Dean and Eddie and Chris and Perry probably would have left along with them if they could have. And that's really the story of it for me is missed opportunity. That company should should have been huge when you when you look back at it and you look at everything they had and all the different characters and not paying enough attention to certain details like production. Production, as we said, is just a massive, massive disparity that ended up being a big factor in it. As for myself, I think saying I enjoyed the shows is a lot. I don't know if I could sit down and if I wasn't doing this podcast and researching, watch those entire shows, either of them. Not only because they're products of their time, but a lot of different factors that I kind of pointed out while watching them. I do think Raw is like more well put together to serve a purpose. And I like the direction they're going. I think if I was a young wrestling fan, I'd definitely be on the WWF side. Mostly, also, I know as a young fan, I was very much on Mick Foley's side. And characters like his, like, relatable characters, echoed with me way more than Hogan or Goldbergs, who were just, like, super athletes. How could I ever think like one of them does? Like, you know, they're, they're a bit larger in life. And that's cool sometimes. But it's also cool to have people that uh, are relatable. I think DDP does that a little bit for WCW, but he's still like a pretty big athletic dude, you know? Uh, so I think I end up on the side of WWF after doing this whole podcast, to be honest, uh, with, with a little bit of sadness because I we, we got to see the heights of what it could have been. And at the start, I think we were all excited and there was still bad stuff, but like, I get it. I get why people watch this. Uh, and by the end of it, I don't. I don't get, after watching this night, or how people can watch this every week. That's us for another edition of the WCW vs. NBO podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW vs. NBO podcast. Uh, anywhere else they can find us, Connor? Patreon.com slash WCW versus NWO podcast. Um, if you would like to support us, uh, we really appreciate it. You can also send in questions for our final episode to kind of recap the whole podcast. I know we usually do that during Starcade. We usually go through like the year favorite matches, things like that. 
Uh, but if you want to have specific questions on the podcast as a whole, you know, who we hate, who we still love, feel free to send them in. I did some compiling of, uh, you know, spray paints and new side we're on. So it should be fun. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Look, looking through uh, all of our choices throughout this. I, I think poll. I could guess my Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you'd be surprised, though. Yeah. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's one of two, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. For me, Connor Angles, thanks for listening. And join us next time for maybe the last time.